Welcome to Troubadours on Trek. This is your captain speaking, Grace Pettis. I'm a big star. Trek fan. I'm also a working musician and a songwriter. I review episodes of Star Trek with other musicians and music industry professionals. We share an episode of the greatest science fiction series of all time, and they share their songs and road stories with us. New fandom is created. Our Spotify playlist, like the universe, continues to expand. Guys, guys, we're being hailed. Now don't you worry, baby. Don't you worry, not. What you All right. Here we are, back again for yet another episode of Troubadours on Track. <laughs> you don't have to hold in your laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> I actually was You're holding in uh, a wine burp. That's what was Oh, happening. is that what it is? Yeah, we might be drinking wine. I'm here with uh, Heather May. And we might yeah. be drinking a little bit of box wine. Just a little bit. Which is the preferred wine of choice of musicians, not only because it's cheap, but also because it lasts a long time. And when you go on tour, you come back and it's still good. Is that a thing? True story. I have been not taking <laughs> care of my box wine, clearly. <laughs> it lasts It lasts longer. That's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So now that I've changed your life, um, let's talk a little bit about Heather May. You've been called the new queer Adele. I love that. (laughs) That's awesome. By Elle Mag. And uh, your website says, and I quote, queer, fat, femme, singer-songwriter, mental health advocate, and your new BFF. And uh, I really love that. And I'm also really looking forward to you being my new BFF here in Nashville because uh, we're basically neighbors. Because you live here now. I live like we've down never. Road. We have never lived in the same town before. No. Um, watch out. And we really do. We live approximately. We're not going to tell you where we live, but no, we obviously. do live 1.6 miles away from one another, <laughs> which is fantastic. It's so great. It's so great. It's so good. I moved to Nashville in January of 2022. And I have never had so many friends in the same town as me, other than when I lived in, like, I was in my hometown. Yeah. When does that ever happen? It doesn't. And especially it doesn't, like, when you're gone most of the year. Because, like, most of the friends that we make, we make them at, like, festivals or conferences or whatever. Yeah, and we see them, and it's like, you have to, like, put in all of that time and all that energy and that, like, mm. quick little, oh my gosh, that little background. Yeah, like, the backstage, like, hangout at the festival. Because we were all, like, all of us individually were that weird kid in our high school. Yeah. And so then when we all get together, like, at Folk Alliance or something, it's like, oh, my God, you too? Yeah. And there's just, like, this immediate sense of, like, family and tribe. But, like, yeah. you only see those people once or twice a and year. And you have to pack all that. Yeah. All the, like, uh, catching up all in, like, one. Totally. Sometimes, like, 30-minute hang in between sets or at 2 a.m. at a conference, and right. then, because right. you just don't know when you're going to see each other again. I mean, before right. this, seeing you, before yeah. you moved here, I don't when was the last time we saw one another? Well, I saw you in D.C. at, I think it was a Nobody's Girl show, or was it a show we did together, or was it just like you guys were just there, I think? I think no, you were there with Ross. Yeah, I was there with Ra. It was a Nobody Girls, Nobody's Girl show, and it was at Jamma Java, but that was when? Like, friggin' 2018 or, yes! or something. Yeah, I, I think it was, it was 2019. But that's, like, COVID, too. That's, like, everybody yeah. right now. But you're right. Like, all of our interactions have been virtual for, like, the past three years, I think. And before then, it was 
so sparse and just random and whenever between. we yeah yeah but now the best thing about this well, is we did go so, on tour together one time like, we that's did. how we became friends that is how we became friends yeah um but the best thing about living in nashville is that like you could be like hey i made too much pot roast would you like some <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing yeah like we or, were at this like backyard party and i looked around and i was like i know at least 10 people here who live within like 10 miles of me. Yes, it's nuts. I had this moment when we first moved here. So I have I have two partners. One is a photographer. The other is my stage uh, partner on and off stage. And she and I both had this moment when we were walking through and we were like, oh, okay, so we have a dinner. This is the, the first month we were here, living here. And we had this room and we were like, okay, we have this meeting with Blank here. And then like the next day we have like drinks with them here. And then we have dinner with these. And then we're going to host Blank and Blank here. And then this person, this person... And as we were sitting, like, looking at our calendar, we were like, wait, hold on. We just realized that we, we don't have to do this. Mm-hmm. We live here. We live here, right. We could plan a coffee it. for a month from now. Right. <laughs> or just be like, hey, you know, does what anybody want to come over and have pancakes <laughs> right, right, tomorrow? Exactly. Right. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, this... Or just like, I have to go to the grocery store. Do you want me to pick you up some coffee beans? They're on sale. Buy one, get one. Exactly. Like, I know you love these. They're on sale. I'm going to pop by and put it in your mailbox. Right. It's a completely different thing. It really feels very lucky to live in Nashville. Yeah. I I hadn't really realized that part of it. And I think partially because, like, the first time I tried living here was in, like, 2013. Or something. And oh, you have tried to live. I here tried before. to live here. I lasted a year, and I was like, I'm going back to Texas. <gasps> Seriously? Yeah. It was. I didn't make it. I couldn't cut it. I had no idea. Yeah, but partially it was like we were super broke. You know, we lived mm-hmm. in Antioch in this apartment, and like it was one of these situations where we're like, which bill do we pay this month? Oh, type man, of like we were really just tough. like, yeah, it was like it was paycheck to paycheck. Both of us working like two jobs, and you know, I was like a secretary at the, uh, the sociology department at Vanderbilt. Oh, man. By day. And then um, I would, like, play shows and stuff and go on tour. But I never had enough money in my pocket to, like, go to a bar and, like, see a show. Or, like, meet anybody or get coffee with anyone. You weren't able to be a musician here. Yeah. I wasn't able to, like, take advantage of, like, that community at all. Wow. And really, like, the best people I met, I met, like, the dog park. You know? And that was, wow. like, I just, yeah. I met this amazing guy out of Scat Springs, who's incredible in Nashville. That's a cool. singer. He's he's passed away, but unfortunately, but yeah, um, he was amazing. Yeah, I met him at a, at a dog park. So it's like cool. Some of the coolest people I met, I met there. But I didn't really have. I couldn't like go out and do any of the nightlight stuff. Mm-mm. Night life. <laughs> it's so interesting. We don't actually do much of the nightlife stuff, and I say that, and I literally spent four nights out last week. But I know. like, it's <laughs> the best <laughs> week. <laughs> spent so much money. It's so bad. It was a, a lot, a lot. Uh, but we have. I, I this. The thing is, is I just it just hit me hearing what you just said, and I'm having like a little bit of a moment right now. You you are describing uh, a Nashville that I was terrified of. Mm. I, that's the reason I didn't move here was mm-hmm. because I knew I was not ready for mm-hmm. this town. Yeah. And I, I once heard somebody say, don't move to Nashville until you know you can do it. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, I've moved here and this is the moment that I'm having. I've moved here and I don't know any other Nashville than the one that I Absolutely love. And the one that's filled with your friends. Filled with my friends. Right. Um, it's easy to do. I come home. My 
bills are paid. Yeah. I feel very blessed and very lucky to be able to go on the road when I need to make money. I know how to make money off of my music if I need to. Like I, I feel like my my Patreon, they take care of me. Yeah. Um, Shout out to Patreon because that's that's where this is going. Is amazing. Yeah, and you can awesome. put it on yours too if you want. Oh my god, I would love to do that. Yeah. Hi, Heather's Patreon. Hey, this fans. is Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. This is so exciting. Hope you like it. Um, but I just realized that I am now. I I am. Yeah, the moment that I'm having right now is that I just am realizing like. I live in Nashville and it is not a stretch. Yeah. Like it's not a stretch to make friends. Yeah. It's not a stretch to, to find income, to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. It is, it does not feel It's like you belong here. It's like I belong here. How weird is that? And I I, I have (laughs) to tell you, I don't know if it's a ginger thing Mm -hmm. as a ginger, um, I feel like for those of you that don't know what I look like, I have the same we color this, hair as Grace and Pettis. haircut basically. And like, haircut we have the too. same yeah. color and cut of color hair. Cut. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was really funny yesterday. We were at a lawn party for Americana Fest. Some friends, uh, of the amazing Wild Ponies, were hosting uh, an after Americana Fest party where we were not allowed to do any networking or anything. You're supposed to. Is it a secret party? You were allowed to talk about it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't think it's a secret party. Um, <laughs> they hosted this like lawn party where like goats, where they had goats and yeah. a trailer, and it was like just amazing. It was and, yeah, and like the one rule is you can't talk about your career. Yeah, and you have to just like be a normal person, which like all just of us like forget person. how to do something. Yes, don't talk about your career. <laughs> just be normal. And <laughs> we were at this party, and I had my hair up in a bun, and I felt like my bangs were doing a weird thing and it was like <laughs> Grace fixed my hair and I was like, no, it's okay. You're doing it wrong. And she goes, stop. I have the exact same hair as you. Just let me do it. I was like, I know what I'm doing. I know, I know what, what I'm do doing. Here. I know what I'm doing. We have the exact same hairstyle. So good people of Patreon, if you would like to know what kind of hairstyle, just look at picture Grace. That's me. That's yeah. my hair. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like moving to Nashville, I, for so many years, so my partners and I, we lived in Washington, D.C. for a really long time, and I'm from Northern Virginia. Yeah, I was going to ask if you wanted to tell me. Yeah. Time, yeah, so I'm from Virginia. I grew up um, right outside, in a suburb outside of D.C., and um, I moved to New York when I was 18 because I could not get away fast enough, mm-hmm. um, and then I lived in my, I lived in a van for a little while and toured around the country, and that's when I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this thing. When did you start touring? Like, so okay. I started touring in 2011. Like, how so, old were you? I was, oh man, oh, <laughs> age doing math. I can't do it. Uh, I don't know. I was probably like 23. Nice. That's a good age. Hold on. Pause for editing. Let me figure out some math. So I'm 34 <laughs> this year. I'm 34. I'm 34. What? Okay, so I'm 34. Are we the so, same person? <laughs> are we the same? Did our parents have us at the exact same time? Um, okay, so I'm 34. So wait, what's... <sighs> Math. I've had a little bit of wine. Hold on. Just cut this out. It'll be good. Okay. I'm not cutting anything. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm definitely not cutting it. Keep it. Print it. They've already figured out the math. They're already figuring it out. They've looked at 2022. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so (laughs) whatever the age was, yeah, they're right now going, it was 23. It's 23 or whatever. It's fine. It's all the same. 
Early um, 20s. It was in my early 20s. Totally clueless. Yeah. And then you forged this path of, like, independent musicians. Oh, my God. I'm so, wait, so, so ridiculous. I just realized that my math teacher probably would have made me. This is, this is so bad. I was, 2021 would have been 10 years. So I was 23. <laughs> awesome. My math teacher came to my show the other day. <gasps> She's amazing. Well, she actually wasn't technically my math teacher. She's a math teacher at my high school. But I had, she was like the, the teacher that sponsored uh, Scholars Bowl. Whoa. Which was like the quiz thing with the buzzers, which I was on in high school. Nerd. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love you, but nerd. And now we're on a first name basis, so. And my you life's couldn't going figure great. out that math problem? I no, just no, I was terrible at math. And I, I was such a like teacher pleaser. I like, I loved all my teachers and I just, I thought the world of them and wanted them to like me so much. And like, I tried really hard at math, but wow. I was terrible at it. Wow. Just oh really my gosh. I was the exact opposite of all of the words that you just said. <laughs> so you were great at math? Ex- oh, no, I was Except not good at math. <laughs> Uh, the teacher plays a part. I was not that at all. I definitely was like, how fast can I get to drama and how fast can I get to choir? Like, I, I just wanted so badly to just be what I am right now. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, my, my partners and I lived in Washington, D.C. for a while and then we moved to Nashville and it just, it like, um, you know, it was really scary when we first moved here. And actually, this really ties up really well with the episode. Yeah, that I'm yeah. About because, yeah, let's go there. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and even though it's a part of Virginia, it definitely is like a blue part of the state. Mm-hmm. And then I went to college in New York City. Right. So, like, I was a very similar story to you, where I was. I grew up in the church mm-hmm. and had mm-hmm. these values and these these beliefs and these morals, and I was like a pillar of strength and will not sure. be shaken, sure. right? right? And then I, but there was always this part of me that like that didn't believe it. Like, did not believe that, like, gay people were going to hell. Like, right. that did not believe that right. women had to be submissive. Yeah. That didn't yeah. believe that, um, you yeah, know. Like you just didn't totally swallow the party line. I didn't. And it yeah, was all, it, it was, like, all of the social issues that yeah. I just was, like. You're like, I'm like, I, I got no seriously? problem with, like, Jesus being the son of God. No like, way. you know, bread turning into the body of Christ. Like, none of that shit. Like magic. Like, I love magic. Yeah, like, I'm like amazing. mystery god. Like I'm on board for all of this, but like you lost me at like all of these little dumb issues that yeah. like are not even in the Bible right. and like don't right. you know or I mean anyway we we could go down whole but it was the that, social like, it, it was yeah. the social issues that got me and yeah. then I went to New York and I was like oh okay cool 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 cool, 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 cool I can cool. be a Christian <laughs> and also I've met so many people yeah, yeah. I was like okay I can be Christian and liberal. Like right, it is possible. Right. And then I kept growing up, kept growing up, becoming an adult and realized I was queer. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh. Okay. So this is a part of who I am. Why didn't I know? Why didn't I know? And then mm. continuing living and existing. And now I'm queer, married to somebody who's trans. I'm polyamorous in a relationship with a black butch lesbian who has faced and experienced racism her entire life. Mm. And mm. we are thinking about moving to Nashville, right? to Tennessee. Mm-hmm. where the very existence of both of my partners is offensive to people who live. Marshall Blackburn. <laughs> yeah, for example. Well said. For example. Yeah. But the very, their very identities and yeah. existence right. and, and is an affront. Is an affront to them. Sure. And I so mean, how do you handle, totally candid. Yeah, how do you, how do you handle, right, yeah, it's not safe. Um, yeah. How does that feel like, like, 
living in a place where you know that like who you are is not acceptable to like a lot of people. Well, what's really amazing about Nashville, this is what I really want people to know because there's a lot of people now who are trying to take back the music industry. You know, they're like big thing is like, you know, they're trying to, you know, wokeify mm-hmm. <laughs> like Nashville or like they're trying to like make the country music woke. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't even make country music mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> right. Uh, next year I'm releasing an Americana country album. What? Which I'm very excited what? about. Um, because what? I'm angry at the stuff that's being said. That's a Can I sing on it? You totally can sing on what? it. Um, and then I'm also releasing a pop album next year, too. Amazing. I'm doing both because I, I believe that. that women can do anything that they want. Well, and you're from the South. Like, if anybody has a right to that genre of music, I would think you, you would. I think both you of my know? partners are from North Carolina with cackle at thinking that North, 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 Virginia. Northern Virginia is... It's, it's below the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> they both would be like, it grace. Absolutely not. But it totally, counts. I'm a Virginia girl, and, like, my yeah. family's from Southern Virginia, my grandmother's from West Virginia. Like, yeah. absolutely. And, um... But, like, I – moving here, to answer your question, like, what does it feel like to be us and live here? It's scary outside of Nashville Mm. in Davidson County. Yeah, you go, like, five miles outside the city limits, even within the city limits. And, and you know, we we go antiquing, for example. We love to go antiquing in, like, Mm. Kentucky and stuff. The thing is, is, yes, there's some stuff that's, like, kind of scary. And, you know, you cannot help but see those, like – that stupid f-ing flag flying in different mm-hmm. parts of, mm-hmm. of, of, you know, off of back roads. We go antiquing to Kentucky or go antiquing to different parts of or try Try the wealthy suburbs of Nashville. You see it there too. True, 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 true. Yeah, absolutely. But like, the thing is, is like LGBTQ people are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like right. black people are everywhere. And, right. right. And, you know, the thing that we have just decided as a family is like, we are not going to be scared mm. off mm. end sentence. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm not going to allow the, their hate and bias and bigotry, you know, stop us from living our big, gay, beautiful, interracial lives. That's like, amazing. I'm not going to do but that. But also I think like, you know, Nashville is a place that creates what people think of as like kind of flagship Southern culture, Mm. you know, in terms of the art that comes out of this town, Mm. you know, and if anybody has a right to be at that table, Mm -hmm. you know, it's you guys. I mean, you guys are all from the South. Yeah. Your creators who grew up, you know, in this part of the country. Yeah. And if anybody gets to like write those songs, yeah. You know, tell those stories, sing those songs. It's you guys. Yeah. We had this, uh, And, and screw anybody from California who, moved here who wants to like say different you know what I mean because like that honestly like so many of the people that want to like put it in this box aren't even from here right they're not even from here yeah like the south I grew up in is interracial Mm. you know it is queer you know it is like a lot of different it's hispanic you know it's Mm -hmm. you go to Texas and like you know Texas isn't white like the south isn't white Mm. and we've been sold this like Oh, the South is, you know, when we think of like what's on CMT for however many years or like, mm-hmm. we've been sold this idea of like the Paula Deen, Sun T, yeah. you know, yeah. thing. And it's like, it has never existed. It was never that. It 
it's that's never what been they that. Want us to think everything that southern culture is like black culture. Mm-hmm. Everything we think of is like southern food, southern mm-hmm. music. It's black and music. like it's black food. Butch lesbians have been have building, always existed. <laughs> butch lesbians have been building log cabins in Alabama for, for as long ever. as America has existed. Ever. Um, yeah. And trans people have been here for forever. Yeah. And yeah. queer women who like me, um, who have who are loud and love big and um are feminists yeah like there's a reason why they call us steel magnolias i mean and if the powers that be don't like that mm-hmm. i mean because like this is your this is your home you know right. what i mean you belong here and the really beautiful thing about moving here when we did is that there is a shift you know at the end of the day like <laughs> i'm not actually <laughs> going to disagree with those people that say that you know, there's people coming in here and they're trying to wokeify Nashville. Like, and yeah, the thing is, is yeah, actually, you're, they're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't actually call it, like, we're not trying to change it just to change it. They're just trying to we're be trying yourself. to make it better. Yeah, because make it better. it should in, be equal. Yes, absolutely. There should be more equity for everyone. Absolutely. And the fact is, is that, like, just because you don't like us doesn't mean that we don't exist and we deserve to live here too. Yeah. And the really amazing part about living in Nashville is that I texted you when you <laughs> told me you were living here. I was like, oh my God, your Nashville is going to be so gay because all of our friends are gay. Like it's all true. of our friends are trans or queer or bi or asexual or pansexual or um, straight allies who are just so loud about, you know, people like you, Grace, that are just so affirming and like oh for your friends thanks buddy yeah well i think that's kind of what it comes down to is like you know politics aside which it's not about politics it's just kind of, it's like how you know we talk about something being like a feminist issue it's like the personal is political you know yeah. and it's like if you're just trying to be who you are yeah. and you're just being yourself and you're just being authentically you and somebody has a problem with that like that's not what me. are you supposed to do with that? You know, I what don't mean? know. Like that's not that's not my problem. That yeah, sounds exactly. Like a new problem. Exactly. Because <laughs> I personally am going to go hang out with my friend Grace and go get mac and cheese at Kroger and then drink box wine. Like go. that's what we're going to do. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's kind of my philosophy on it. Is like if somebody thinks that like, um, oh no. <gasps> oh no, it's been okay. recording. Okay, good. Oh, that scared me. We had a moment where she. Thought, I thought maybe it wasn't recording, but it was. Okay. Um, yeah, no, if someone thinks that like who you are is not, it's like, I, I just have gotten to the point where, I mean, and I feel this way about my, my Christianity and my faith because mm-hmm. like I am a Christian. Yeah. I do like love God and Jesus and it's like a big part of my life. Yeah. I mean, uh, we could talk about that sometime, but when I was a kid, um, I had like chronic pain and my relationship with God was like the thing that helped me survive my childhood, you know? Mm. Um, and God is a big part of my life. And there's a lot of people that want to tell me that I'm not a real Christian or I don't have a right to, you know, my faith because of like the things I believe or my politics or something. And it's like, I have a seat at this table. I do. It's my table. Um, and I'm just like at an age in my life where I'm just kind of done letting people tell me that I don't belong because of Mm -mm. who I am or whatever, or whatever I think. Um, when I know that like, this is my home, you know, and that's, so I'm going to show up at church, like whether or not, you know, they, they think I have a right to be there. And who in the right mind could you know, ever just say as a Catholic ever. getting divorced, like that's mm. not acceptable, but I'm still going to go and I'm going to take yes. communion because 
I have a seat at that table. Yes, you do. And people might not know the whole story, and they could make whatever judgments they want to make. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, like, I'm not asking for their permission. Mm. You know? And you shouldn't be either, because it's your table. Yeah. It's not even like, oh, will they invite me? It's like, no, this is, I'm from here. This is Mm -hmm. my table. We talk about it in the LGBTQ community, and Ra and I, when we we were were experiencing some intense homophobia um, in our family, um, we had this thing that we we called it and all lgbtq people have a different version of it but for ours it was the backyard Mm. so um at the end of the day you can't stop anybody from coming in and and telling you there's something about you i don't like right sure but you know what you can do you can put up a fence Mm. and only allow them in when you have your armor on when you are prepared it is when you have no fence and you have no boundaries and you're just open and exposed all the time and they're just coming at you at full force. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's things that we can do as humans to protect ourselves. And that's something that we actually do. This is do. a lesson that I, I, have, I need to learn and I, I work on because yeah. I'm not great at it. By nature. Yeah, and a- actually Abby Wambach. Actually, I was I was wondering if you were going to go there. Have you read Untamed? I Michael have. And Doyle? I have too. And I, that's why I thought maybe you were going to like the island. That then, so that, that's what I was saying is that like there are some Listeners, people, if you haven't read Untamed. Untamed, Glenn Doyle. It's, it's great. great. Um, when I read that um, chapter about the island, mm. I was in shock because I thought like, how did she, did she, did she know me? Did I post <laughs> about that online? How did she... How did she know about that? Did she steal that that from me? And it wasn't, did she steal that? I'm just just, kidding. Oh my God, I feel so deeply connected. How did, how did that? And then I started talking about this with other LGBTQ friends of mine and they were like, yeah, we have that too. I mean, I'm not LGBTQ, you know, but I related to that. But that's what I'm saying. Because I think everybody. All humans have this, have, they're all humans have things where people are offended by who you are. Mm -hmm. And beautiful thing about the lgbtq community is take from us and learn Mm. we have had to survive amidst Mm. deep bigotry and oppression um and yet we're here and we're thriving and beautiful and there's something to it the other day i hosted a queer brunch (laughs) and i had like 30 people in my house eating pancakes that were all lgbtq and beautiful and it was so incredible. And that's how you are able to, like, that's how we survive in Nashville. And I feel like that's how people who have ever experienced any kind of oppression or mm. opinions pressed upon them by another person, like, you survive by putting your boundaries up and making safe spaces. Put mm-hmm. your boundaries up so people can't come in and just blast you all the time with their opinions. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's fine. You have that opinion. But I'm only going to listen to it when I have the energy to be like, okay, 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 you're mm-hmm. wrong, and goodbye. Close the door. Right. Don't come over to my fence until I give you permission to come over. And then two, create safe spaces where you find Christians that are just like you, Grace, mm-hmm. who believe what you believe and mm-hmm. know we that are you. out there. There aren't as many of us as I would like in this country, um, but we are out there. You know? Yeah, there no, are a lot of us actually. There are. I mean, I I grew up in the church. I'm a very spiritual person, and like my partner is a PK. My other partner grew up in the Baptist church. Like we have all had paths and and walks that we've taken with our I like to call her my goddess um and um and we're all on different 
parts of our journey, but we go to church. You know, yeah, we sure. go to different 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 churches actually all over Nashville. I do feel like I've learned a lot from the queer friends that I have that I've mm-hmm. had through the years. You know, yeah. about resilience and kind of being courageously yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, and in a lot of ways, it like it kind of forces me to step up to the plate because like when somebody shows you the reality of who they are and they're like courageous about it, mm-hmm. if you then respond with like a mask or like something that you were told to say, like mm-hmm. it just feels like not enough. It's like yeah. you have to respond to authenticity with authenticity. So, and I just like courageous people in general. Like that's, yeah. that's my type of person. I remember you texting like. me that and I was so moved by that. Mm-hmm. I was like, your friends, there's so many LGBTQ people here and I'm having the best time in the city and I can't wait to introduce you to my friends. And you were like, I can't remember what you said, but I, I can't, I, I said something like, I can't remember the exact same thing, but I was just talking about how I have, oh, you were like, yeah, I just, I think something along the lines of like, I have so many LGBTQ friends and it's I so really wonderful. do. It's so, it's so crazy. And I feel like I even did before I had kind of gotten my head around it, you know, before I had kind of unpacked a lot of the shit that I'd been taught and like had really looked at it, you know, even before then I had so many, right. Some of them weren't even out yet, you know, and some of them were. And like, um, and I just, I just feel like it's, there's something about that, but I think it has to do with authenticity and I think it has to do with courage. I think I just, I'm really compelled by people who are just themselves and kind of refuse to be anything else. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like drawn to people like that. I remember you saying like, I'm drawn to people to courageous people. And I was Mm -hmm. so moved by that because that is another form of like deeply seeing my community. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons like, Grace, you're one of the good ones. Oh, that's good to hear. (laughs) I I don't hate hearing that. Um, all right. Well, let's keep going here. Um, we should probably get started on the actual episode. So let's, let's transition smoothly i'm gonna pivot really smoothly yeah, that's some kind of segue here there's so many questions actually i wanted to ask you about a couple of things before we yeah, move on yeah, yeah. so because we haven't really talked about your music okay and i discovered your music with the, the ep i am enough that was mm-hmm. my first introduction and i fell in love with it i wasn't the only person that fell in love with it you released that yourself mm-hmm. independently yep. and it went on to be number 58 <laughs> on the itunes uh, pop album charts which is an incredible achievement it's an incredible achievement um, and now you have like, like a real deal booking agent you're like touring internationally and you're doing all these things and you're putting out two records next year. And it's yeah. also incredible because you're still like this powerhouse independent artist. Yeah. Still independent. Doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Trailblazing. And, um, but that one line that you had, I think it's on that EP is like that. My body is not wrong. My body's not shameful. If you don't like what you see, turn around, turn around. Which really is about kind of what we were just talking about. Right. It's just like, this is me, take it or leave it. Yeah. And the first time I heard that song, it just really, it stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, I've played that song a lot of times. Um, I feel like it's such an important message for literally everyone. Mm -hmm. Like if we all played that 10 times a day, we'd probably all be better people. (laughs) And I have played it for like several people when they were like shame spiraling. Yeah. To be like, oh, shame. Listen to this song. (laughs) Like who you are isn't wrong. It's not shameful. And if people don't like it, they can, they can leave, you know? Yeah. Um, it's just such an important message. So like talk about that EP. How did you, Mm. yeah. Like how did you, what, what got you to that song? Where did that song come from in your life? Um, well I had nodules in my vocal cords. Um, that was the first record I've ever, ever, ever put out. I, um, 
I've been touring since 2011, but I, you can see from that date, that album didn't come out till 2016. Mm. Um, and that was because I had been touring and performing and the pressure and the must mm. be and trying so badly to be pretty, to be perfect, to be a good songwriter, to be a good performer, to be the best singer. Um, it literally blew out my vocal cords. Wow. So I got nodules on my vocal cords. I had a cyst that started to develop. And so um, that whole EP came from after I was um, – are you okay? Yeah, I'm just checking the levels. It looks like it's a little loud, so I'm going to take it down a little. Okay. Yeah, keep going. Um, so that whole EP came from after – they were words that I had written during the silence of mm. – having nodules. Mm -hmm. So I started writing because I couldn't sing. I started writing poetry. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when I got my voice back, I started singing the words that I had written in the silence. And a lot of the stuff that was coming up during that time of silence was how much I hated myself. Wow. And when you can't speak mm -hmm. or talk to anybody, um, you hear, um, you really have to sit with yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Girl, I sat with myself and what I heard was just vile. It was so terrible. And it wasn't my voice. Mm -hmm. It was my voice that had been developed from the opinions that had been placed inside of me by society, by my oppressors, by the patriarchy by capitalism, just by external vitriol. Yes. Yeah. And, Internalized. and the only reason why my whole life I had, you know, been struggling with an eating disorder for 17 years at that wow. point. Wow. And, um, you know, it takes plus size people to get help for an eating disorder. It takes them seven, seven years is the average, on average, on average. Holy and a straight size people, seven weeks. Wow. To get help. Because it's so much, because the culture so much affirms like you're normal. Yeah. And but when I go, it doesn't affirm that. for Yeah. When I go into a doctor's office and I've dropped 20 pounds in two weeks, my doctor applauds me. Yeah. We're the like, that's, system. A, that's a significant, like, oh, something's wrong with you. You have gastritis is, or something. Something is wrong. Yeah. Um, and I don't care how much water weight you have inside right. of you. No, that's not normal. Wrong. Right. And it's hard on your organs and hard on your heart and hard on your brain and hard on your relationships and et cetera. And, um, mm. and when somebody who's straight size walks into the doctor's office and loses 20 pounds, it's like a, whoa, Hey, what yeah, is, up uh, what's happening? Yeah, there? You're you're and, right. you yeah. Um, right. and so even the healthcare system is, is, isn't seeing mm. us. Mm. Um, so I, here I was silence and I became very aware of the change that needed to happen inside of myself. Mm. And, you know, it's funny. I didn't, I haven't heard that song in so long. I haven't really played it in a while. Um, not because I don't, want to or I don't like stuff. the song it's just new stuff yeah, yeah. Totally. and I hadn't heard that that word shameful mm. was in there and what's so interesting is my new music uh really deals with shame mm. um one of my new favorite quotes is shame cannot hide in the light mm. and I love that. that is what happened to me is the light was on mm. in my brain mm. because I couldn't hide 
And I love the idea of like having to lose your voice to find it. I think that's so yes, that is exactly beautiful. One of the things beautiful that I idea. say is that like it was the best worst thing that ever happened to me because mm. I isn't lost, life that way. Yes, and <laughs> I have said this to so many people, people listening. Who have dealt, you know what we're talking about. Uh huh. And I've said this to so many people who have had intense trauma. Um, um, little T, big T, and every single time they're like, absolutely. The worst and the, yeah, the worst and the best. Yeah. Oh, wow. This is, uh, yeah. So for those of you who are like unacquainted with Heather Mays music, you will probably guess from this conversation that it's like, get this powerful stuff, you know, it's potent stuff. So like, you know, be careful, bring a box of tissues and like <laughs> get ready for like a life changing experience you know i mean it's fun too it's like pop it's pop music but But if you start listening to the 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 lyrics yeah yeah and um much like your partner chris you're a change maker of sorts Mm -hmm. and you use your music uh for the purpose of activism you you don't you're not shy about that like you're upfront about it Mm -hmm. it even says on your website like i'm a i forget how you worded it but basically like i do this to change the culture you know how did you have you always been have you always used music that way or like what was like the shift for you? No, uh, I have not always used my music for, for, I call myself a social justice songwriter and that's what um, I was. Yeah, yeah, I know. I have not always, um, done this. Uh, when, before I got nodules, I was just trying to be someone else. Mm. And after I got nodules, I, you know, I mean, so activism and authenticity for you are sort of tied together yes, as, as one thing. Yes. Yeah, one so interesting. I lost my voice, and the theme of spirituality and Christianity is coming up a lot, but it's true. I remember um, I had the worst uh, little trigger warning. Anyway, dealing with Susan, well, I guess you can do, talk about that in the podcast. Yeah, I'll put a trigger before. warning in the notes. Yeah. So I was dealing with some like the worst suicidal ideation I had ever experienced mm, because so all of my income immediately was gone all mm. my housing was gone I had no way of paying for I couldn't speak so I couldn't get a waitressing job I couldn't right, get a right, retail right. job I couldn't get a secretary job I couldn't wow. get anything I, I didn't literally, think about that that's yeah that's terrifying and so all of my income was completely gone on top of my joy the thing that brought me yeah, yeah. purpose my self-worth everything gone so and we should really, also pause and mention that because I don't think a lot of straight people know this but like I have a few queer friends who have been kind of in dire financial straits because of health issues. Yeah. And one thing that I learned is like a lot of them don't have those family support systems that yeah. most of the rest of straight people have. Yeah. Like, because there are so many queer people who are kicked out of the, their families of origin. And so, you know, it's not just that you don't have someone at your wedding. It's like, you know, if you have a major health event, which most of us do. And in this country with no health care. And if you have no one know, to go, that's what when that happens, why. where do you go? Who, who do you call? Yeah. Like there's, there's nobody. Yeah. So, and I have several friends who have been in that situation and it's a really hard place to be. Yeah. So I just want to acknowledge that. Cause I think like a lot of straight people listening might not, not, might not be familiar with that reality for like queer Americans. I will mm-hmm. say Americans cause there's other countries where there's yeah. universal health care where we don't have that problem. But um, and not a housing crisis. In this country, if you don't have a support system from your family of origin, you're yeah. really in trouble sometimes. Yeah. And I, I remember just losing all reason to live pretty mm. much. And mm. at one point I found myself, you know, considering like just – 
<laughs> taking my life. And it was like over and over and over again, just mm-hmm. thinking about it over and over again. And I had this moment, I was sitting, um, in my living room. Um, and I remember my partner was going to come home. Um, they were visiting me, um, um, from North Carolina. We were long distance at the time. My married partner, who I'm married, I'm married to now. And amazing I, raw. my <laughs> amazing raw. And I remember um, sitting in my parents' living room and they were walking in the door and I had just been thinking about going upstairs and taking uh, a bottle of medication and they walked in and they were like, they could see it on my face. And I looked at them and I said, it's not right. Meaning my mind, it's not right. And they were like, I know it's time. It's time for you to go get help. I had never been to a therapist before. Wow. I was not diagnosed with, I never, I had never been to a therapist before. I had no idea how the medical system worked for mental health, finding a psychiatrist, pills, any of that. I was so terrified because my parents just didn't talk about that. And, um, I mean, I will say, thank God you, they, I mean, your parents stepping in that made the difference. It was raw, raw stepping in raw, raw Mm. came home and Mm. saw me. Oh, I see. So yeah. So there was, I thought you said your parents came in. No, no. So I, I, at the time I was like living, I had nowhere to go. And Mm. so I moved back in with my parents at the age of 20 something. I don't even know. And, and, um, Ra had been visiting, um, and had walked in mm. and found me. Um, and at that point I went and saw a psychiatrist and that's when they diagnosed me with bipolar disorder. Wow. Um, I had been living undiagnosed with bipolar disorder up until that manic point. depression, manic depression my wow. whole life up until wow. that point. And then, um, I remember after my psych, my first appointment where I was diagnosed and had a prescription in my hand to go get an SSRI for my depression. Mm. Um, I remember sitting in the pharmacy parking lot of this CVS. Um, and I remember saying, if you give me my voice back and I'm speaking to my goddess. And I said, if you give me my voice back, I promise I will, I will make the world a better place. I will dedicate my life wow. to making the world a better wow. place. Wow. I just got chills like all over. And so That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. So you promised I literally dedicated God my whole life to this. That God. if you survived and if you got your voice back, your life would be spent in the pursuit of making the world a better, better place. place. So That's powerful stuff. To answer your question stuff. talking about like music and social justice, no, I have not always done this. But in that silence I realized that there were so many things that I had not gotten to sing about I didn't come out in my music nobody knew I was queer Mm. like here I am with this like mental health I'm in a mental health crisis and I have the ability to sing about it on a platform that can help the world be a better place and I had never done that before Mm -hmm. and I story I have since sung every single album of mine has been focused on a certain cause Mm. Um, so I am enough was about a range of social justice issues, but specifically about you are enough. Now, what are you going to go do with it? Right. right, right. And then glimmer, which was my album I released in 2019 was dedicated to helping those with mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, and then this next record is dealing with, um, LGBTQ empowerment Mm. and mental health, specifically dealing with religious trauma. So you just like made, you just made your your religious trauma and shame, which is, that's a cool topic to take on for sure. 
And you, I just love that you've like, you've made yourself this arrow at like darkness. <laughs> You're just like, I'm just going to shoot myself at the darkness. Like, like that's amazing. That's like some really, <laughs> you know, that's inspiring stuff. That's like some action hero over there. Thanks buddy. I can't wait to hear this record. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Um, well, yeah, and you, you kind of answered a lot of the questions I had for you. I was going to talk about Glimmer. I really just want to talk about all of your outfits and hair on Instagram, but we're not going to do that because we oh, just do it all day. We do all day. Just we don't really do it all day. What is... But for those of you who aren't following Heather on Instagram, you're really missing out. And it's just, I feel bad for you. Like, you should... Because, <laughs> like, most of Instagram is just so terrible. But then oh, every wait. now and then when I'm doom scrolling, it'll just be, like, Heather and, like, I don't know, a sequin bikini or something or like with a feather bow or something. And I'm just like, and she's, and it's some kind of really positive like caption about like just accepting yourself and everything will be good. Everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, you're right, Heather in a feather bow. Everything is going to be okay. <laughs> I don't think that I have posted, I don't own a feather bow or a sequin bikini, well, but now I have They goals. seem like things that now, you would own. Now I might have to go. But you do that. have a lot of sequins. I do. I love sequins too. I I have a sequins. Every summer I tour in some version of a rainbow, full body rainbow sequin. It's <laughs> amazing. I love sequins. Like, I, I'm. It's the Dolly Parton in me. You June, know? Oh yes. June comes around and I'm like, how queer can I be? <laughs> well, you got to top it every year, you know. Gives you something to work for. Um, cool. Well, let's move on. It is high time to talk about Star Trek. I mean, I'm um, ready. So you're, you're one episode. of these, you're, you're one of the totally uninitiated. Like you mm-hmm. have no Trek history, never watched it. You didn't watch any Next Generation growing up or anything? So let me explain my Trek history. My dad and my sister, my oldest sister, were self-identified Trekkies. Well, they sound great. <laughs> <laughs> they are great. I love my family. They're <laughs> You know, I feel very lucky to have the family that I do. They are incredibly supportive of me as mm-hmm. a as a queer person. That's fantastic. A musician. Like That's wonderful. Thing. Yeah. So, and and they're some of my favorite people. And I've never... And none of that rubbed off on you? <laughs> <laughs> Guys, Heather's family. You did not do your job. <laughs> you had all these years. You had 34 years. To get to get me to, to get her indoctrinated, what happened? So here's the thing, I have it was it was just I was the kid that didn't really want to watch TV when the what? TV. That's I know, not a thing. I know. I wanted to That's watch not, music no videos. Children that don't like television. Yeah. So when I was a kid, I, well, of course, when I was a young young kid, I watched cartoons and stuff. But when I was like older, my family would like gather around the TV and like would watch something like Star Trek, for example. I was like, can I go upstairs and listen to emo music and wow. write, in, write in my journal and like wow and and listen to my CD player? Like that's what I wanted. See, I think maybe you're watching the wrong Star Trek. I think maybe you're a Deep Space Nine person. I kind of have a feeling. I, I just think I, I can't I, remember I, I play what this it was. new game with people where okay. I look at them and I'm like, which Star Trek are they? Because there's a series for everybody. I think you're a Deep Space Nine person. Can you explain what or that maybe is? Maybe a Voyager person. You're kind of equal parts Deep Space Nine and Voyager. You explain what yes. That is? Okay. So there's the original series which came out in the sixties. Which I remember, remember them. I remember now. them watching. I right. do remember that. And um, then there is Next Generation, which is the Star Trek of our millennial generation. I feel so, like I need to see a photo. Came out in the 90s. Patrick Stewart. 
Yes. Yes. That's what my so family that's next was. generation. That's yes. it. Yeah. That's that was it. this truck of our millennial childhood. That I remember Patrick Stewart. So Next Generation was a huge hit, and that was like kind of a revival of Star Trek. It hadn't okay. been on the television since the sixties. Okay. Yes. And when it was kind of this huge hit, at first people were like, the purists were like, oh, this isn't real Star Trek, whatever. But Cling it caught on. on. It caught on. Yes. Cling on. on. Way to go. What was his name? Worf. Worf. Yeah. I remember My favorite him. character, by the way, so bonus points. Oh my God. I um, feel like, I feel so proud of myself. That I'm came out really of proud of you. I'm so proud of you. I called him Wolf, but it's okay. It was close. It was good. You were one Wolf. letter off. All right. right. I'm there. So when that was really popular, there were two 90s spinoff shows. Um, which were Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Deep Space Nine was set on like the fringes of space. So Star okay. Trek, as you might have noticed, is set in the future where there's like a utopian human society where all of the kind of problems of racism and sexism have been solved. Okay. And we're all just now exploring the universe. Okay. And it's very like, it's very utopian. There's no more problems. There's no money. There's no poverty. There's no anything. Okay. So, but Deep Space Nine is set on the fringes of space Okay. Where you're interacting with all these other cultures, and it's kind of the Wild West, and you're so far from civilization that really kind of anything can happen. Okay, okay, okay. So there's, it's a little edgier. Okay. They Who like, were some of the actors in that one? Well, Worf was in it. He was also in that one. And uh, God, I'm trying to remember. There was Jadzia Dax, who was kind of like this beautiful woman with like sort of cheetah spots on her face. I don't know if you remember. There's a, oh, the first black captain, but he was the in charge of the... Um, Starbase. Any of this ringing a bell? No, I no. think I, I think my family stopped at Next Generation. Maybe Fair they enough. continued a on. Did. A lot of people did. Yeah, but it, it and some people. Deep Space Nine was really different. It was like serialized, where all the other tracks were kind of ship in a bottle episodes, where everything mm-hmm. was tied up at the end, mm-hmm. and you could kind of jump in and end the episode and figure out what was, what was going on and who the characters were. Okay. But Deep Space Nine was the first one that was kind of serialized, and that was because of DVR. People could record oh. it and keep up and like. So that's a whole other conversation. But there's also Voyager, which was the first female captain, Captain Catherine Janeway. Okay, and I, I feel like the, the kind of like that the optimist in you, like my sister, like this joyful optimist version of mm-hmm, you. Mm-hmm. That that side of you is is going to be really attracted to like Voyager, okay? Because it's very like it's profoundly hopeful and idealistic. Um, <gasps> I do also. I do remember, remember this one. This. Oh my gosh, yeah. I do remember this yeah. one. Yeah. Voyager, I think he would love. One of the best strong female leads of the 90s, and I will fight anybody who disagrees. Like, she's right up there with Dana Scully from the X-Files. One of the best female characters of the 90s. I'm going to say this. Seeing this photo. Did that just, like, bring a lot of stuff back for you? It brought back (laughs) one of my first. Like, it's bringing back Queer Crush. Oh, my gosh. I am having a moment right now. Yeah, Janeway. Yeah. Oh, Seven of Nine. Boom. Yeah. The fact that I didn't even remember Seven of Nine tells you how not queer I am. But um, Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. <laughs> she's also in the new Picard series, and she's amazing. Oh, man. I'm yeah. having, like, such a moment right now. Yeah. Because I remember not being able to, like, stop watching her face. Sure. Yeah, she's And queer people beautiful. have these moments all the time when they're, appre- when they're suppressed queerness. Mm-hmm. It's like when their queerness is suppressed when they're younger, that they'll look back on something and be like, oh, I was in love with her. Oh my God, I had such a thing for her. Wow. You know what's really cool about this, too? My dad totally watched this. Mm. And he would watch this with his daughter. Yeah. And, like, that's a a female captain. Yeah. Well, Seven of Nine isn't the captain. No, no. She's the other other character. Yeah, Yeah, Janeway. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's no, really she's a cool. very cool. I feel like it's, I'm having a moment. Like, I mean, cool and unlike thing. a lot of '90s female leads, like she wasn't really sexualized. It was there was no real romantic interest. Like, it's just about her running a starship. Man, actually, it's I'm awesome. having like a real moment about this. Yes. <laughs> you need dad, to go back and watch it. It's my great. dad had three daughters. Mm. This is 1995. How beautiful that my he got to share three, that with his son. And I remember him yeah. always being like, watch this. Right. And now I don't know why. But no, I didn't understand it then. I was like, yeah, whatever, dad. But now I'm like, he had three daughters and he wanted his daughters to watch this show, this version of Star mm-hmm. Trek, mm-hmm. where there was a female captain. Yeah. To be like, there's no you way can do that. that wasn't intentional. Sure. And the really cool thing is my sister ended up going on and being in the Air Force. Oh my gosh! That's amazing! <laughs> That's really awesome. But you know what? That's she's. This is the cool thing about... Okay, so the strong female science technology leads of the 90s, I think about Janeway, and I also think about, um, um, in the X-Files, Dana Scully. Oh, totally. And both of them are, like, the reason that, like, so many women went into things like NASA or just the sciences in general. Okay. Like, like, there's an entire... Or became gay. <laughs> That too. Scully um, is But there's gay, like an I entire thought. yeah, totally. But there's but also she's just like somebody who is really good at science. Yeah. Who was a woman. You know yes. what I mean? And and it wasn't even though there was like this romantic tension with her and Mulder, like that wasn't the focus of the show. Right. She was like the voice of reason. She was an equal partner yes. on the show. And that influenced like this entire generation of women that went into science. Did you watch the X Files? Oh my gosh, it's like my other favorite show. I'm shocked you were allowed to. I wasn't allowed to. Well, watch I wasn't it allowed to watch stuff. it until I was like in high school. My oh, stepmom came along, and she she was like the reason we got to watch stuff. Like, well, yeah, cool. South Park and stuff. You'll love her. Oh my she's God. great. That's awesome. Um, no, my dad was always pretty cool about that. My mom didn't let us watch any TV because she thought it would rot our brains, except for Star Trek. Which they would watch because of her partner, Ray. So, there you go. But anyway, moving on. So, <laughs> this episode, Space Seed. Okay. This is one of the episodes of start of the original series of Star Trek because it's the prequel to... I mean, there's not even really a lot of argument about this. Like, the best Star Trek movie of all time. Which right. is Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Right. And the character, Ricardo Malmabon's um, character, Khan, Noonien Singh from this episode, is one of, like, the greatest Star Trek villains, if not the great Star Trek villain. I mean, he's listed in my research as the... He's the villain. Yeah. The villain. He's the villain. And he's so incredible. This episode, honestly, I think it's, like, it's pretty good, but it never would have, like, gone down the way that it did and inspired so many other things in Star Trek if it hadn't been for him, like, as an actor. He just brings so much to this Mm. role. Mm. And it just kind of he really makes it. Like, he steals every scene he's in. Captain Picard. Right? Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. I'm so proud of myself right now. Thank you. I just fist bumped. Um, so <laughs> he he is later, I don't remember where, but he is quoted as saying that Khan is his greatest, what is it, adversary. Yeah. Well, that's Kirk. Captain Kirk. But Captain yes. Kirk. Yes. Picard is the 90s captain. 90s captain. Oh my gosh! Did you see that old memory yeah, that just came back. back? I think there's a lot of repressed Star Trek love in there it's that going to happen to you. It's going to be great. Um, so anyway, so it's the episode starts happening. and they get like this Morse code signal, which is cool. And mm-hmm. Uhura's like, "It's Morse code," and she starts like deciphering it. And Kirk's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we're all reading it." Oh yeah, but she's like, <laughs> and she's like, "I know it." Yeah, sure. Like, Kirk, you're totally up to speed on, like, 200-year-old Morse code. Right. Sure. Right. Because yeah. you're the communications officer. Right. Like, it was just such a moment. That was, that, was def- that, that was definitely a moment. It was a moment. 
And and I then love that moment. Yeah, and so then Spock's kind of sassy, and he's like, you know, I don't understand why you always get so much pleasure out of seeing seeing oh seeing him be, be proved wrong because Spock was right. like wrong about something I don't know. And uh, Kirk says it's an emotional earth weakness of mine. There's this kind of banter, so you yeah. kind of you get all that right away. And it's 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 clever because it's kind of setting up. Okay, these are the characters; these are their roles. Mm-hmm. Like this is who they are. Mm-hmm. So you know you can watch any episode of the. This is kind of part of why I wanted to do the original series with this podcast. Is you can watch any episode of the original series and you immediately know who all the characters are. Yeah, I did not know anything about it, and I just jumped right in. And I, I, you said just watch the one episode. You don't have to like. Yeah. So I I jumped in and I was like, oh man, I am not, I don't know anyone. Hopefully I understand. And I, it was great. And you I immediately on. knew yeah. the dynamic. And as for that little comment where she was like, <laughs> she read the Morse code and he was like, yeah, 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 we can all hear it. I, I paused it and was like, every single woman who watches this is eye rolling at the it's like oh really you understood uh, that like I had a moment where I was like if that had been me I would have been like uh excuse me you're welcome where is my thank you all of my training my many years all of my training and everything this is literally my job later on she's like (laughs) she goes on to say that she's like somebody I think Khan says like she's the communications director she's a communications officer she's Mm -hmm. a communications officer yeah no that's her job this is her job and she speaks like a thousand languages yes she's yeah. amazing yeah she's amazing and then he goes on to be like yeah, yeah yeah and i just wanted to be like i'm surprised i didn't give a cut where she rolled her damn eyes yeah, <laughs> right, right, right and all women go Ugh. i know but she she does she brings so much to that role so without much. even having any dialogue because they never give her any good dialogue but she just her face says so much so it's so much. great but um yeah so then uh we get all this this uh the ship that shows mm-hmm. up the Botany Bay, and they they make a point of saying it's nineties technology. It's the nineties. <laughs> the nineties. What do you I, think about that? I had this moment <laughs> where I was like, "That is." Although you know, one of the things is okay. So oh, I have so many thoughts about this. Okay, yeah, yeah. The bipolar disorder. No, let's fun. go. Okay. The first one was, wow, they had a lot of hope. Yeah. Because they and I know so that it was thirty years that's, later. I know that that's really funny. Like it is funny. Like oh my gosh, you guys. Seriously? Yeah, that was the, the era of 90s. like Tamagotchis and N64s. But yes. sure, yeah, interstellar space travel. <laughs> but Reach for the I stars. Know that, that is really funny, and it's. But there's a part of me that saw that. It's and was beautiful. Like, it's I beautiful. was actually watching it with my partner uh, Chris. Um, and as I stated before, Chris is a self-identified butch. Um, and a black lesbian from North Carolina. And I, I didn't know what I was watching with her, but she loves movies and loves TV and should totally do an episode with you. And she um, and as we were watching it, we were both like that. We both laughed and then we were like, well, wait a second and pause it again. And she looked up when the, when the moon landing was. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know when the moon landing was? Yeah. Wasn't it like 68? 69. 69. Okay. And this, they stated it was like 93 or something like that. 1998 or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, we, we had this moment where we both were just like, they, this speaks to how much hope that they have for the oh, future. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. were so like. No, they dreamed about this stuff before we had done any of it. Any of it. But but not just, like, traveling to the stars, but, like, not just landing on the moon, but they dreamed about 
like a black woman having a job. Yes. Where she was taken seriously and respected as like an officer. Yes. That didn't exist. The entire episode. That did not exist at that time. Is about the racism mm-hmm. and uh, classism that happened and eventually in this show led to the demise mm-hmm. of 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 just civilization civilization right mm-hmm. exactly and so um right thinking clearly, that thinking that some people are superior because of genetics exactly yeah which by the way you know clear reference to nazis yes clear reference to nazism and like the eugenics of the nazis of saying okay these people are superior these people aren't and we're going to build a world a world yeah you know in this image and 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 i would say yeah. not i mean just it, it taps into so many things that were happening that but time. at the same time they demonstrated that with a multicultural bridge crew and then even the bad guys are a multicultural team yeah like everyone in the in other words suggesting that by the 90s yeah like race is not going to matter anymore right race is not the thing that makes you superior anymore by the 90s like the by people the are going to figure out that like you know what I mean? Which to me, that's profoundly hopeful because they're like, oh yeah, like the eugenics wars of the future aren't going to be about race. They're going to be about like strength and intelligence and, you know. But like, at the same time, they were also talking about how like in this, in this, I mean, they were looking back mm-hmm. on this, you know, Ancient centuries <laughs> of the 1990s. Right. And not only do they think that this would be a plane uh, or a spacecraft that would be able to do what it was capable of doing, and in the '90s, which is mm-hmm. so hopeful, but at years the same later. T- right, yeah. but at the same time, um, you have to remember that this was made. This episode, I think, was in like '63. No, '66 or I think it's '66 or '67. '66 mm-hmm. or '67. Mm-hmm. Two years later, right, we were on the moon, right, and '66, '67. And by the, the way, peak of this, the civil this rights? show had a lot to do with that. You were, totally. Because people were like, oh, yeah, it's plausible. Because if you've seen it, you've imagined it. I mean, and think about it. Like, there were only a couple networks at the time. So there were only a few shows that everybody How? could even watch. How? Everyone in America oh, watched this show. Everyone in America. And so they were like, oh, yeah, that's plausible. Yes. That's plausible. We can dream up that. And not only can we dream up going to the moon we can dream up having, you know, people of different races, like working together on a bridge and like as equals yes, from different parts of the world. And the beautiful thing is I just could not help but have this moment. Like if this episode was made in 66 or 67, I think it's 67. I'll Google it while we're talking. If it was in 1967, think of what was happening in America in 1967 in terms of racism. Ergo why I love Star Trek and why you should really get into it because every single episode is so topical with this stuff. Yes. And they're, they're a script with a diverse cast Mm -hmm. was writing about what was happening or could eventually happen Mm -hmm. in our world. If we don't get our shit together. Right. And isn't that beautiful? It is so beautiful. I love that you get that. It is so beautiful. Because I think some people watch this stuff, 67, February 67. Some February people watch this stuff and they just go, oh, you know, it's another space show. And they don't really understand, like, the, the cultural significance oh. of Star Trek and, like, the historical importance. Mm. Um, and I'm glad that you got that right off the bat. Because it's that's, that is really, that's what I'm so interested in. And it's every single episode. I've learned so many things. 
Yep. Like I remember the one I did with Betty Sue that was about um, lobotomies and I didn't know much about that and that era of history and like just the countless women and queer people that were subjected to that. It's like fascinating stuff. So, but they, but there was an episode of Star Trek that was like topical and about that and like delved into it. And there's so many things like that. I mean, sometimes it gets cringy and silly and like, you're like, oh man, you know, no, but this is but they're, huge. Yeah, no, it's huge. The race huge. riots mm-hmm. were happening in 1967. Mm-hmm. They had spread to Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. Um, the so-called race riots, we should say. The so-called race riots. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, well, let's talk about, so let's talk about, so we, we, we hear something mentioned called the eugenics war. Um, and we talk about the Botany Bay. I think it's interesting to know that the Botany Bay is actually an actual place. It's an embankment in Australia, in Sydney. And when the British colonized Australia, um, they had plans to use Botany Bay as a penal colony. Mm. So, which they did. And there was like a settlement that was founded there very soon after it was moved to like a different location. But the name Botany Bay kind of stuck and it became sort of a synonym for like being shipped off to a penal colony. Whoa. So a lot of like Irish people went there. A lot of like British, you know, criminals, so-called criminals. Mm. Some of them were criminals and some of them were just inconvenient. Mm. Um, and all of them ended up there. And it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. So the name kind of stuck and it became a synonym for like being shipped off. So the whole concept of this episode is a really similar thing. It's these people, they've been shipped off mm. and we don't really know if it was for a good reason or not, we don't know like if they're the bad guys or if, and there's kind of not black and white, like Monobon's character, he brings so much depth and dimension. Mm-hmm. Like you really do kind of sympathize yeah. with his, his plight, but also he's so arrogant. He's like clearly the bad guy, mm-hmm. but he's also, he's not an entirely unsympathetic character. You also kind of are charmed by him a little. Mm-hmm. He's very sort of regal and, and you get why he, is the kind of guy that could take over a continent, you know? Yeah, because that's, like, his whole point is that he can persuade anyone. Because yeah. that's ultimately right. somebody who's a conqueror. He's they, a conqueror. They can always persuade anyone. Right. So, Botany Bay, and the other thing that's cool about that is it's the place that the explorer um, James Cook landed when he landed in Australia. Mm. So, um, that's significant because Captain James Kirk... His name comes from Captain James Cook. Oh. Who was like this adventurer who helped, you know, colonize Australia or whatever. Wow. Yeah. So that's like, and there's a, there's a, a, Easter egg. that's a little Easter egg. Yeah. yeah. Like there's a, there's a quote in uh, James Cook's diary that says his journal entry that says, uh, ambition leads me farther than any man has been before me. And that what is, does that sound like? what does that sound like? So that is where Roddenberry got like that famous line in the opening credits where no, to boldly go where no man has gone before. So this character of James Kirk is like based on him. They wanted somebody who was sort of rugged and individualistic and he modeled that character after, after James Cook. So Fascinating. kind of cool. And the enterprise is also named after the Endeavor, which, um, was Cook's ship. And, uh, wow. So Khan <laughs> and Kirk are, are kind of similar. Yes. Intertwined. And, and I think that's important. I think that's a really important thing to know. Um, they're both kind of cowboys and they're both sort of these rugged individualistic characters. And so there's sort of this, this game of mental chess that they're playing right. this whole episode. But I think that Kirk is somebody who sort of has all those instincts and has, that like within himself, but he's aware of it. He recognizes, he talks about it. Like humanity has this, this tendency to romanticize this part of ourselves 
but also he's conquered it. Like he is not at the mercy of that side of himself Mm. and he can recognize it in Khan and he can exploit it as a weakness. So in a way, even though Khan is like this superior, powerful, you know, human specimen, Mm. he's less powerful in that he's still at the mercy of his own ego and Kirk and Kirk isn't. I mean, there's a part of me that just feels like there is just cause you can, doesn't mean you should. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, how do you wield that power? You know? Right. 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 So I think that's a big part of this episode is that kind of like, you know, the interplay between those two characters. Um, Also, you should know that the Enterprise and the Endeavor were the first and last space shuttles, and they were named after Kirk and Cook's ships in real life. Awesome. Very cool. Um, Obviously, botany is the study of plants. The title of the episode is Space Seed. So that's like a tie in. And that's referring to this colony that's planted on this harsh world. You know, at the end of the is episode. Is it, though? Is it? What is happens? it? You is have it to watch Wrath of Khan to find out. I mean, I said this before that episode. I'm going to say it again. I know what that scene is. <laughs> Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Everybody what knows. that scene is. If you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave that right there. His girlfriend had no problem going <laughs> with him. There is a reason for that. That's true. That's all I'm going to say. We should talk about her. She That's was cool. That's not all I'm going to say about it. No, we can say more if you want. Uh, but Marla, Marla MacGyver's? MacGyver's. Can MacGyver's. I just say yeah. something about the... Con- yeah, <laughs> I go for it. I started, can I? And you were like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> can I say something about Con and Kirk? Because the yes. thing is, is I. that's a very interesting point that the two of them are very... I mean, they literally were created to be very similar, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Even from like the structure... Uh, like the core it's kind of why the story works right exactly they're competing for the scene you know they're right yeah and i feel like i want to talk about the slaps that happen Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so there's a really cool thing where um the communications officer Officer. Mm -hmm. uhura she is in the beginning you know she says we said that the thing she's like she does her job mm-hmm. and says like, this is what it is, mm-hmm. you know, the SOS. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Kirk's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Right. Dismissive. And you know, he later on Khan, mm-hmm. Khan, when she, you know, sitting there and she, she's and like, she won't do it. She won't do her job mm-hmm. because she's amazing. Mm-hmm. And is like, you're the enemy and I'm going to stand true because women are amazing and they can endure. Mm-hmm. Um, She's sitting there and she won't do it. And he's, he orders somebody else to hit her. Mm-hmm. And twice, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the comparisons of Khan and Kirk right there are such, like, that. that is the difference. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Kirk could have been a dick and yeah. been like, whap. You yeah, know, sure. I already know it. Don't sure. make me stupid. Or right, don't right, right, right. You're, don't embarrass me. In front don't embarrass of me yeah, in front of everybody right. and like ordered her to get out of the room or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he didn't. No. Instead, he, but he clearly has that ego. He does. And that's clearly my point. there. But that's he's, my point. But he's not. But the he ego is there. Jerk. But he, yeah. what he does with the ego, he is not he keeps going, it in check. Yeah, but Khan gives it he free reign. He doesn't care. Khan says, "I'm superior. I am superior, and, and women exist to serve me." Exactly. And even, like, his love interest, which is, like, the love of his life. Yes. You know, and, and uh, we know that from the movie. Um, mm-hmm. He is, like, it's classic. I mean, we'll get into this, but, like. Let's get into it. 
Yeah. So I wrote down a lot about that because um, just watching this episode again and watching it for mm. the umpteenth time, mm. I really was just struck by um, the just the classic, you know, red flags of, you know, the situation. Like just um, he immediately kind of starts pushing her boundaries of what's acceptable. I mean, he just straight up just walks in. So he walks into her room. He starts touching stuff. He starts looking at things. Like where when he, you know, he, the beginning when, when he starts unpinning her hair, when she exactly, and she he says, in. you know, wear it this way from now on. Exactly. Like there's just so many things that he does where where he starts off by flattering her. So their first interaction where she she comes to visit him in sick bay because she's sort of drawn to him, which is partially professional and par- partially that she is into it. She's right. into that kind of power play. Right. And so she shows up at sick bay and she's like, you know, you know. She's in- introducing herself. She starts to introduce herself and he stops her and he like knows her name. He's looked her up. He knows her first and last name. Mm-hmm. At this point in the episode, Kirk has already messed up her name twice. That is such a good. And hasn't like scene. recognized her as wow. like a professional and has been really dismissive catch. of like historians and, and in she general. She doesn't feel seen. She doesn't feel seen and appreciated. Khan shows up, knows her first name and her last name. Makes her first Compliments her art. Tell, the first thing he says is, Makes you know, they didn't needed. tell me there was a beautiful woman on board or something like that. Right. Makes her feel beautiful and needed. So he immediately just like gives her all of this attention and what makes her feel there special and seen. Already. Right. What does that sound like? What are, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is what, exactly. So, and then, so she kind of like falls for him and then mm-hmm. there's all this endorsement. She's really, I mean, and she has like clearly has some problems because she's super into this kind of a person. But let me also just say to talk about that because what a real something that does happen um, in situations of domestic violence when there is an abusive partner, they make impossible situations. Yeah. So you can never be perfect, right? Because they will right, never right, right. be happy. Right. It is never ever good enough. And she, what does he say to her about her hair? Mm-hmm. He tells her tells her to be natural, soft, soft and natural. Right. Mm-hmm. But then later on in the episode, when she's like, "I can't stand to watch this," mm-hmm. right? Can I He's go? Like, I, I was hoping you'd be stronger. Exactly. Right. So it's impossible. So which is it? Yeah. Which, which one is which it? do you want? But also, like, I think it's funny that, you know, he starts by just, like, showering her with all this affection and, like, appreciation. Right. And then immediately switches to it becoming conditional. Where it's like. I know. Where it's like, okay. The hand part you, really got me. I was, right. I was, like, screaming at the Yeah, TV. yeah. We should. I, I have some good notes for that. I'm going to pull that up. So. Um, she's like in his room and he, she, he's like, make a decision, stay or go, but don't be wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And so then he says, well, how many minutes then? If you're going to stay for how long? Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 So it's annoyed. Yeah. So she goes, you know, it's, it's after the dinner, basically they've had this dinner and like, she Kirk comes and in and this, apologizes she for comes another in and apologizes man, for another person. Ugh. Yeah. And but I think she, it's very I guess on behalf of the crew, yeah. For another, she yeah she dis- she comes in and apologizes for, for another person, man. right? Um, and she goes, but I know who you are. Like you're not a mystery to me. You're like Leif Erikson. You're Richard the Lionhearted. You're Napoleon. Blah blah blah. Um, I don't think you're gonna like living in our time. And he was like, I'm just gonna remake it in my image. And then mm. and then she's like, well, you know, please don't do that because he moves in because he's already kissed her at one point. Mm-hmm. And she says, please don't. That's right. She says, she says, please don't. And he moves in anyway. And then he's like annoyed by that. And he just flings her across the room and he goes, go or stay, but do it because it's what you want to do. So it's this kind of illusion of choice. Yeah. But then, you know, but then, and and actually, you know, it's a little bit fair. It's like, if you proceed at this point, you know what you're in for. 
Like, you you know, you've made a choice at this point mm-hmm. to, like, go further. And she chooses to stay. She says, I'll stay a little longer. Not to, like, victim blame, but, like, at, at this point, they're not in a relationship. Like, she's she chooses. There's something about that that's appealing to her. Mm. And she chooses it. And she stays. And he says, like, how many, how many, and she goes, I'll stay a little longer. And he says, how many minutes do you graciously he's offer? Like, oh. like, he's very annoyed Annoying. at that. And he's not going to really let her play any power games. He he knows that he has her. So, you know, he's it's like it's classic predator manipulative stuff. It's like um, he's going to make her beg for it. And his affection is conditional. Mm-hmm. And she has to be 100% subservient or she's not going to get any affection from him. And he knows that she needs it. Mm-hmm. That she feels like she needs it. So that's their dynamic. Um I feel like we could really play this episode to people to teach them about re- abusive relationships and how yeah. they happen and how they could really happen to anyone. Cause right. here you have this person, he's this like well-spoken, like well-read, genteel, he's, he's acting like handsome, sexy, like magnetic person. And you're just so drawn in by it. Right. Um, and then before you know it, like you're, you're really like giving up so much of your own self-respect to like one, one little thing at a time. time. He just chips away at those boundaries and just to kind of see how much he can get away with. Right. Until she's just kind of totally under his spell. And there's this moment in that scene where he's like, he does say like you choose, Mm -hmm. right. But really there is no choice. No, because because he, that is what they do. That's what abusers do Mm -hmm. is that they, they seem like you have a choice, but Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you don't. Well, it's important to mention that he's like five times physically stronger than her. And you've already said it, Grace. Like she has (laughs) no respect there. Like the captain can't even remember her name. And like, she just wants to paint and like learn about history. And she doesn't feel like she has a, purpose there she doesn't feel special and he was making her feel special so he when gives he gives her that identity he gives her like, like recognition yes yeah. and it looks like in that moment he is saying you have the power mm-hmm. but i'm telling you i think you, it, and the I most really telling part about it is where he the hand scene like you said where he holds her hand and he's like squeezing it and he's clearly hurting her and making her kneel and and he gets her on her knees and makes her agree to like betray everyone she loves yes um which that is what abusers do. They isolate you from everyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's and just, she it's says very no. classic. When she says no, he squeezes harder. And eventually. And then, he, and then he flings her away and says, I'm not go. interested in you. You're disposable. I don't need your love anymore. Right. You're disposable. And you, and you won't get my love. Right. So as long as, if she's not under his control, then she's completely disposable. And so then at that point, she's like, oh no, I, that can't be. I can't be. This is my only purpose and, mm-hmm. and identity and meaning. So she says, no, I'll stay. I'll do anything you ask. Right. Um, so I just want to say to anybody out there who is in a relationship where you're listening to this and this is ringing some bells for you, um, and this feels kind of triggery, I just want to say out loud and very clearly that love is not supposed to hurt. Right. And if love hurts, then it's not love. Yep. And you need to get out. And there are lots of resources out there. I'll put a few in the notes. Um, so this is the kind of thing that happens to everyone at every strata of society all over somebody who's like a confident, capable, you know, Lieutenant officer with her own life and mm-hmm. interests like can be, can fall into this so quickly. And it, anyone can be, can become um, caught up in a situation yeah. like this. So if this feels like you just know that you're not alone. Overnight. It and, is, unlike, yeah. it is unlike a Star Trek episode. It does mm-hmm. not happen overnight and right. Right. it is never your fault. 
Right. Never, it's never your fault. Never your fault. And I, so many people I know, it's like, well, yeah, I didn't know that when I married him. But then it was like, at some point, yeah, it, it happens, you know? It does happen. It happens. And it's, it is. Yeah. And you're it's, dealing with a lot of stuff that, like, uh, is not your fault. It has nothing to do with you. The, the kind of tendencies that lead men to do these kind of things, or, or women. Um, yeah. So, anyway, just that was really striking to me about this episode. I thought yeah. we definitely should, like, mention that. Definitely. Um, but, yeah. So, um to lighten it up a little bit, there were some kind of funny lines in this. There was that line that Spock says where he goes from 1992 to 1996. He was the absolute ruler of more than a quarter of your world. Yeah. And I was like, wait, that was Oprah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Michael Jordan. Uh, (laughs) 92, 96. (laughs) Wait a second. I was there. I feel like, (laughs) I, I feel like, um, there are some things that are like a little foreshad like they might have like foretold a little. It's very Trumpian, it's isn't it? So yes. It's very uh, Trumpian. <laughs> what romanticizing dictators and strongman leadership? And like there's fascism. Mom- I don't know anything I, about that. I, what I love is that in in the <laughs> script, in the script, this is what I I can't okay, so I kind of do love this about Star Trek. Okay, I'm having a moment about loving Star Trek moment. Uh-huh. There is there is a really cool moment because at the end of the day, like this is, these are writers yeah, who are in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Right. And yes. they're writing about, they're writing the words for these characters, mm-hmm. but they are in the sixties writing the words for these characters to say about a fake world, mm-hmm. but they Which allows you the world that is exactly. Right so what's re- exactly. one of my favorite scenes that I'm sure <laughs> seems like it may, I don't even know if you even have notes on it, but one of my favorite scenes was a scene where all of the men and Spock, who, let me just say Spock is an LGBTQ elder. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to say that I'm going to drop that right there. So many LGBTQ people love Spock because love so that. many people believe that Spock is actually trans. Well, he is a character who, who exists in multiple worlds and is, not understood by anyone. Yes. Spock yeah. is two spirit. Yes. Spock is yep, yep, yep. asexual. That's Spock a is yeah. uh agender. Spock is It's funny because intersex. There's, there's so, so many things. Honestly, like this is the funniest thing is like for a character that's supposed to be an outsider, he's the most relatable character to like almost Absolutely. everybody that I've had on. Because everybody's felt like an outsider at some yes. point. Everybody's felt like they didn't quite belong or they had a toe in another world. And everyone identifies with him. He is also an icon of, like, you know, immigrants in America. His parents were, like, yeah. Jewish-Ukrainian immigrants. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. You know? Um, like, so he's he's an outsider in many ways. I have a friend of mine yeah. who has autism. It's, it's about race. It's about yeah. neurodivergence. Yes. I, I think there's I a, a lot of neurodivergent who, people. Exactly. That's really exactly what I was going to say. Spock, my friend yeah. has autism and is a huge fan of Spock because so many yep. things that Spock says – She's like, that's how I think. So I think that, that really he can be a stand-in for, for a lot of people's um, experience of feeling other in America and right. feeling like they sort of have a toe in, but they kind of right. don't, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so there's this one scene where it's Spock and the three gentlemen, mm-hmm. and they're all- Spock, tra- McCoy, and Kirk. The holy trifecta. There you go. And there's, another, and there's another person there, the one with the- uh, Scotty. Scotty. The engineer. Scotty. Yeah. Yeah. So there's four of them and they're talking about 
they had done some research and they found out who he, who Khan was. And right. they're describing him to, I guess, all of them are so describing the him. And at one point, the one with the Scottish accent. Scotty. Scotty says, Scotty says, ah, you know, I have to say, I, I really liked him. I kind you know? of was, yeah, kind, kind of impressed by him. Yeah, impressed right. by him. And then Kirk was like, you know, me too. It's something rom- very romantic about the, yeah, the yeah, brute yeah. force. Blah, blah, blah. And then the other one says something too. And and like Spock, Spock is like, are you kidding me? Yeah. You guys, <laughs> it's this what? look of like an incredulity. And then there's this yeah. moment <laughs> where it's a, there's a pause in the script. Right. And that the camera actually like pans out. And it's a wide frame of all four of them. Uh-huh. And then they all go. <laughs> and Kirk right. or Spock is like looking at them like and then the camera cuts away and you yeah. don't actually really know what the laugh is well the laugh is so what they're basically laughing at is that Spock is like wait are you on his side like yeah. he's having this moment of internal right. panic of like are you guys with the bad guys on this because yeah. this is like terrible you guys and you, you know that right you know uh, that this dictator. is terrible right and then he realizes, and then Kirk says, what you don't understand about us, Mr. Spock, is that there is this deeply human part of us that is savage and, like, you know, is about power and, right. and control and, and that, like, this is appealing to. Right. But as much as we admire him, we also are completely appalled by his behavior. We can loathe and so respect. We can, exactly, at the same time. And they so, laugh. And, and they laugh about that. Um, and my, my, my and I definitely this. had a moment where I was like, this is like so many, this, I know, I know this is where you're going. It's like, I had friends like that first election 2016 who were like, yeah, but he tells it like it is. I love that about him. Like those kind of moments Dude, where I was just like, like, that was not even where I was going. With okay. This. That was my, where, that's where I went. Cause I was like, and I just, or, or yes. things like where he was, you know, shit talking people from Mexico or talking about Ted Cruz's wife or like just doing all these heinous things on the campaign trail, the grab it by the pussy thing. And some people were kind of defending that locker room talking thing like, yeah, but he's just like a real man's man. And he's like, you know, he just tells it like it is like, I heard people say stuff like that. And I had that kind of Spock moment where I felt like the outsider at the conference room mm. going like. Are you guys crazy? Like this is terrible stuff. Like this right. is horrible. And he's is he's like a fascist this? dictator who's been married, you know, how three times and like cheated on his wife with a porn star. And like, are you and you're fine hearing with this? this? Like, yeah, you're fine with this, really. And, yeah. And it was because like I, I kind of I kind of understood what Kirk was saying there. I think there is this part of our. I mean, clearly there's a part of our culture, especially in America, mm-hmm. where individualism is so prized and. Um, romanticized right. that kind of cowboy thing that taps into us, you know, deeply as a culture. Mm. And there's a part of that that's really appealing to us. Yeah. But I think a lot of us also are like horrified mm. when we see that. Do you know what I mean? And we're, we're we're sometimes we're both. We're kind of both Kirk, and we're also Spock. Going, what? Like you know? So there was this. If you think about the time, sixty-seven. Mm-hmm. Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you think about like 1967, Vietnam War, mm-hmm. you have three men that are mm-hmm. in this room that are talking and laughing about like, man, this dictator. I mean, it was kind of awesome, right? And these writers in this Hollywood writer's room are writing this intentionally mm-hmm. that that they're romanticizing 
world domination. People are dying and being, yeah, world domination, right? And they chose to put that on television so that we, the viewers, would see that and be like, what? What's wrong with them? And now you're getting it, Heather. And now you're getting it. So it's it's really fun to watch you. is the anti-war protesters. It's like, you guys, at that time. Right. And I feel like- I love that you're getting this in real time because like- there's going to be some listeners out there who are listening to this who are going to be just so happy that, like, you're, you're catching on. I'm catching it. Because, like, for us Trekkies, like, we love this about the show, that it's, like, it's commentary yeah. on social issue. And it's uh, social issues, and it's also commentary on, like, the human condition. It's very, it's a lot about philosophy. It's a lot about. I'm getting it. And I'm buying it. And so I'm many people just, like, just, like, see it at face value and go, oh, yeah, another science fiction show. It's not. It's no. really about humanity. It's about. Right that i saw and, it and in it's that about moment yeah i was like it, oh they wow. get away with so much cultural commentary because they're in the future and it's this fictional world it allows them to talk about things that you absolutely could not talk about on television in the 1960s they talk about and it's it's and they go there and they sometimes it fails sometimes like they'll try on a subject like racism or sexism and it'll go like terribly and it's like embarrassing and silly. Right. Other times, like they knock it out of the park and you're just like, wow, that is such a powerful moment. This episode was released in 67, the Vietnam war, all of the anti-war protests and without actually talking about Vietnam, they have, they're talking about Vietnam or they have a, a, the, the perfect human from planet earth Mm -hmm. is trying to, would try to, dominate the world and in fact dominated how what was it a third of the world Mm -hmm. i wonder which third of the world it was because actually i think that it they actually (laughs) they said they said asia and the middle east hello (laughs) what was happening in the world at that time are we getting it yet like yeah no it's so interesting so brilliant isn't that great that yes (laughs) and it's kind of an episode about that it's also an episode about um it's an episode about racism and nazis and it's an episode about um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's about all these things. It's also so about things. like toxic masculinity. It's about, um, so many things. Yeah. So the fact that the woman who was the fact, the fact that the two women that had lines in the show, mm-hmm. the fact that two women who had lines in the show both got smacked. Yeah. is huge. It's huge. Yeah. The fact that um, in this episode, there are moments where the black woman, mm-hmm. again, 1967, mm-hmm. is the hero, the freaking hero. <laughs> gets like, yeah, she gets a commendation, that, like when whenever they all pass out from the gas or whatever. He's like, yes. commendation for Lieutenant Nora. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, it's really cool. Um so I love that you're figuring that out because that's, this is the I'm part that's like, it's like hard to like explain why I love the show so much to people. Cause like I start monologuing about Star Trek and people get this glazed expression on their face and then like, <laughs> it's awesome. I remember the first time you did tell me that you would love Star Trek. I was like, oh, I'm also the, but I'm also the type of person that anything anyone is really passionate about. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. I want to know why you love it so much. Yeah. I want to know about it. I, recently, I don't need to I know recently, everything about that. I yes. just want to know why you love it. So and I much. will say I recently like had a, a, a moment about this with like sports and like football. Mm. Cause like, I do not understand 
how any sports work. As you might guess, I don't know if you anyone could guess this about me, but I'm not very sporty and I don't really get how it works. And I think I have been kind of dismissive of it. I'm like, oh yeah, sports balls, blah, 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 ha, ha, ha. Yeah. You know, it's like make, totally. making jokes about it. The same way that like the jocks, by the way, make fun of the nerds, you know, mm-hmm. oh yeah, ha, ha, Star Trek nerdy, ha, ha. You know, yeah. it's like, we do that, but like, hey, sports can actually be beautiful because it like brings people together yeah. and gives them this, this spirit of like camaraderie and community. And it's like, um, it's a deeply felt part of like, you know, it's like a geographic, it's a part of identity, like where you grew up yeah. and your team and your whole thing. And like, and it, sometimes it's the only place where you go and you actually feel safe and you feel safe, like you belong. And like for a lot of people who played team sports, like it taught them a lot of lessons about like character and like or it, um, it was respect and family like a family and working with people who are different and like all these things so I just feel like you know on the record like I feel like a jerk like I haven't yeah I wasn't open to like you know appreciating that you know what I mean and and yeah. I didn't really want to learn about it because I just wasn't interested in it mm-hmm. and but I'm with you it's like if somebody's really passionate about something tell me why tell me why I want to yeah. know what it is that makes you go this is the thing right this is the thing that brings me so much joy. Right. This happens sometimes. Yeah. There's a train going by. I don't know if you guys can hear that. Very Nashville it right now. very Nashville. <laughs> so to kind of wrap this up, let's, let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. Okay. All right. So, you know, basically we can zoom through this episode a little bit. So they, uh, you know, Khan tries to take over the ship. Marla initially helps him. Uh, it fails because Marla at the last minute um, saves Kirk who's going to die. And that was kind of her line in the sand. She didn't want anybody to get hurt. Yeah. It's like, I'll help you, but you can't hurt anybody. Right. And so when he starts hurting people and then killing people, she's, she's not on board anymore. Um, so she has this, this rare moment of backbone and she saves Kirk. Spock walks in the room, Spock karate chops the super goon. And then, uh, they, you know, then they, they, they manage to save the day. At some point there's like a fist fight with uh, Kirk. We get the kind of double punch, which is the classic Kirk move. Doesn't work. He has to hit him with a wrench at some point, some kind of space wrench. The wrench, which is definitely <laughs> made of foam and definitely uh, bounces off of him, which I think was my favorite part. And also, yes, because I watched it on, I Did you see the this, episode. The stunt double? I watched <laughs> For both of them. Yeah. It is amazing. Yeah, the stunt doubles are like so obvious. It's because really funny. I don't think that they planned on us ever watching it in the high definition. No, that no, we no. It was it black in. and white and kind of fuzzy. It's like you can't tell who's you who. You can't tell who's Some who. Some people had color TVs. Technicolor was like a new thing. But still, it wasn't but like, like that fancy. No, no, no. Yeah, Mine the, the resolution on my was HD not good. TV. <laughs> Yeah, it's really something. It's so fun. Even shows from the '90s, like it's so fun to watch them in high def because, like, you just get all these things that, like, are just wow. obviously fake in high yeah. def that, yeah. like, were pretty convincing. In yeah, so good. It is fun. Um, so yeah. Um, so the episode ends, and and he he finally he ends up uh capturing them or whatever. And there's like a a, a courtroom scene where he decides their fate. And instead of, like, turning them into Starfleet at Starbase 12, he um, ruins them on this planet and says, hey, you're a rugged adventurer, you know, good luck. Like, you got a good group of people, like, you should be fine. Like, you handle Australia, this will be nothing. See if you can do it. See if you can do it. And that's where the episode ends. Like, how did you feel about that decision? Well, I'm anti-war through and through. I'm also, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know... I don't believe in the death sentence. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I think that. So you were on board with that? If you were the captain? Would that, is that, I, that would be my decision. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that like, 
I would ever choose to put someone in. I would never end somebody's life for. Yeah, I mean, they weren't going to get murdered or anything. They weren't going to be killed. They just would have been put in, like, prison or some kind of, like, reform. Like, basically back in a penal colony. I think that the reason... Okay, so my choice... I would have I would have done the same exact thing. But the hmm. second thing is, I think that... Can I say why I think that yeah. he did it? Yeah. I think that he did it because he saw himself in him. I think so, too. 100%. They were shocked. 1,000%. Yeah, they, they were shocked. See McCoy, that Spock. I mean, Spock was kind of like, but gave Khan him some lip about was it. Was not surprised. Yeah, he, I don't think he was surprised. He, was. he saw him and had a little smirk on his face. Yeah, and when he asked him, I think that smirk. That it's funny you said smirk. I think that like Khan smirk is part of why this character is so amazing. Like, there's a couple scenes that I wrote down where like, um, like the first time that we meet um, Khan. Mm-hmm. And he has that first conversation with um with Kirk. Let me find this. Laying in bed. Right, right, right. Right. Um hang on, let me find it. Okay. So he's like where Kirk comes down and he's talking to him because he has to see the caption, the the captain. And so they're talking together and he goes, um, you know, tell me like who you are, tell me your name, like all these questions. And um and he says, I'm Khan, you know? Now, he could have just made up any name. He could have been like, I'm Bob, you know? But he said Khan. He knew they were going to figure it out eventually. Um, But he knew it would buy him a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. So that tells me that, like, he knew that it would be enough time to, Mm -hmm. like, take over the ship. But he also wanted to leave a calling card. Like, he wanted them to know it was him. Oh, yeah. Because true villains always do. Yeah. It's like that. It's that ego thing. It's like people going back to the scene of the crime thing. Yeah. It's like he wants them to know that it's him. And the way that he plays this character, he answers truthfully. When people ask him questions, he tells the truth. Mm-hmm. Doesn't lie. Never lies. But he does it with this kind of a knowing smirk. And you never know if he's like being sincere or if he's playing some other game in the back of his head. Mm-hmm. And it's like an inside joke with himself. This is like a, a step, a chess game. Right. Like you never know if it's a calculation. And, like, when he's talking to Marla, it's the same thing. Like, he'll say all these things, but he does it with a smirk, you know? And and you never know, like, if he sincerely wants her around, if he sincerely admires her, or if there's some other game that he's also playing. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's just using her. It's kind of both, for right? Her, for his seed. Right. <laughs> for his seed. I'm staring at the microphone right now with, like, big eyes. Like, but I think seed. that that's kind of the genius of the character is you always feel like he's five steps ahead. Right. And even though he's telling you the truth and there's nothing that he says ever that's a lie, you know, but he's still like playing this game in the back and of his And his last head. quote, right, mm-hmm. is he'd rather, he'd rather be the king, is what Lucifer the devil, says. Yeah, I'd right. rather be the king of the king hell, of hell or than a servant in heaven or whatever. Servant in heaven. Yeah. And it's, it's like a quote from, uh, is it Paradise Lost or something? Milton. So, yes. Yeah. Which I haven't read, but, um, but Yeah. I, and I think that's his thing. And like, when yeah, Kirk, he's, he's born to lead or whatever. And when Kirk reads that back, mm-hmm. when he says to him... There's like this knowing moment. There's a knowing moment where he, <laughs> Kirk, gets it. Yeah, because they're both cowboys. One of, it's like one of them's using the cowboy thing for good. Than a servant. I but think I, think, I think that Kirk is motivated by truly good... Yes, like, that's the difference. That's the difference. But he that's would always rather be captain. He would rather be captain. Absolutely. Like, he's he's his own man. Sure. He's not good with authority. He <laughs> would always rather be in a fist fight than, like, 
in like a dress uniform working with diplomacy. Like unlike Picard, who's this amazing diplomat, right. you know, Kirk is like, he just wants to work it out by like fist fighting someone. And that's who he is at the core. But at the same time, like he's motivated for good. He's a cowboy for good. Mm-hmm. Basically he's a good cowboy, you know, and Khan is a bad cowboy, but they're both cowboys, you know, and they kind of like recognize that in each other. Um, yeah, it is. It's a, it's an interesting moment. It's so it's like, Oh, you're a cowboy like me. Yeah. I think that I would probably <laughs> have sent them off to do that too. Do you? I don't know that I would have. I probably would have put them back in prison. Like, that's also because I, <laughs> Cause feel, I like, feel like they're going to take over that planet and he's read the schematics of the ship. He's going to build another ship. He's going to go destroy other worlds. They're going to take over. Like, and if he doesn't, his grandchild will. Like, it's just like, I'm a, I'm a Spock. Where Spock's like, yeah, we'll see what happens in 100 years, though. Yes, exactly. You know, that's, I'm with Spock. I'm like, yeah, you should just put those people in prison. I mean, I'm not <laughs> saying that it was the smart thing to do. Yeah. But I'm also not the captain of a ship. I definitely think that I would have been like, have mercy. You're like, game like, recognizes Get game. out of here. Get okay. out of here. Like, go, go love your planet. And I do think that it was a really cool moment where Spock was like, I think, or maybe was it Spock that said, I, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. It's, and Spock knows everything. So he of does. course he knows. What's he knows. Up. Well, yeah, I think the exact quote is like, um, let's see what it is. Uh, now, now, okay. Uh, let's see. It would be interesting, Captain, to return to that world in a hundred years and learn what crop has sprung from the seed you planted today. And I'm just going to say that, like, these, <laughs> even then in 1967, with all of the, the limited knowing that they had of, like, what television was, mm-hmm. series, syndication, like, any of that, they, even then they knew. I'm so they interested. they were going to be, there was going to be something. I feel like this is a thing that I'm always on the lookout for and, like, wanting to find is, like, if you notice, in every generation there are, like, a few people who are dialed in to some kind of a truth that like nobody else can see. Mm-hmm. And they're seeing like 50 years, hundred years in the future and nobody else is seeing it, but they are. And it's like, they have this kind of vision of something that's literally beyond their sight. Mm-hmm. And you just, you have those people in every generation. And to me, Star Trek is that it's like a far, far envisioning Thing. Yeah, it's seeing something beyond what it can actually see. Can I tell you something that I once knew was going to happen and is actually happening? Like literally, can I tell you something and tell yeah. me? When I was like 10 or 11, I remember watching music videos and being like, one day, it doesn't matter what, how, if someone's dead or alive, you'll be able to see a music video be able to see any concert. So I was obsessed with music when I was a kid, music videos, MTV, a total request live, the whole thing. And I remember thinking like when I was a little kid, any musician, any concert one day, you'll be able to see it like a hologram in your, Oh wow. And that, and that's came it's, true. Yeah. Well, there's stuff like that on the Star Trek, like, um, like the, the pads, you know, the, yes, uh, they, they, that's they, they invented like the, the original iPad. iPad. Yeah, like uh, automatic doors. Yeah. Um, cell phones. Cell phones, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the so Apple Watch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bluetooth technology. I mean, even you know? like the 
<laughs> what was it? There's a, there was a, I don't remember which, which Star Trek it was. Cause now I'm like, which one was it? I don't know. <laughs> Cause now my parents, so watched, excited my dad watched so me. Much to watch. but there's that one medical thing that one of the doctors could do. You the just, tricorder you, thing. Not that one. Thing? No, it's where you oh. stand in front of it and it just, just goes, reads you, reads you. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, those they have now. that now. That is a thing that you can literally <laughs> go into a, like, it would be like a CVS or right. like a, right. you know. It takes you just, your blood pressure. It takes all the things. You walk up and yeah. it just does everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Star Trek apparently predicted a lot of it things. It predicted a lot of things. A lot of things. So, yeah, our takeaway, my takeaway is amazing episode led to an even more amazing movie that I'm so jealous. I want to live vicariously through you and watch it for the first time because it's so fun. Um, and I will say that Mama Bond looks just as good all these years later. He, he just has like impeccable abs. We should say about, we should say about Mama Bond. Those are the best abs of Star Trek. Fight me. Like there's no better abs. Um, yeah, he's, they're just like the best abs, but he was an amazing person. He was married to his, uh, wife for like 60 something years and when she died he died like a year and a half later or something like he's just he was this this really nice guy he was in a lot of um he's a mexican uh film and television actor he was in planet of the apes um Mm -hmm. he was in what else fantasy island like um oh he was in those uh spy kids movies he was like the grandfather man yeah yeah yeah. and he was the voice that talked about rich corinthian leather for the uh cordobas uh for chrysler ads in like the 70s wow which a bunch of people know i didn't know until recently um but yeah married 63 years to the actress and model georgiana young who died at the age of 83 he died a year and two months later um so sweet the actress who plays um Marla McIvers. A ginger, by the way. A ginger. I'm so offended by that. By the way. Right. Mm-hmm. She made some poor choices for a ginger. Just she really did she just was not spicy enough to be a ginger. The lighting on her eyes. Her was ginger fantastic, it was. But, it was. You know. And they always gave her like a foggy look. Yeah. Oh, you know what? There's this one moment. This is total non sequitur, but I just wrote it down because I thought it was funny. Um, there was this moment where um they were talking about like Earth's history or whatever, and Kirk was like, "Well, that wasn't in the history books or whatever." Yeah. And Spock's like extrapolating and putting together. And I know he's looking at the starbase records, but I kind of love this idea of like the planet Vulcan having all these Vulcan um, historians who are like watching Earth from a distance, yeah, and just like super judgmental about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just like all of the Earth history, they're like. And they're like, oh, yeah, this was during Earth's, like, plastic footwear era where you polluted your own planet and rendered it almost inhabitable because you all wanted to wear Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> That's like just real right now. Just, like, looking at our history and seeing it in a total different way than we are because we want to, like, clean things up, you know, with our history books. Right. But, like, oh, some like, other planet. Does that sound familiar? Does yeah. that sound familiar to, like, trying to remove all this information from our history? Right. As if it didn't happen. I just love the idea of, like, a totally logical, impartial outsider that's just watching from the planet next door going, man, these humans are crazy. Yes. Like, wanting <laughs> to completely wash our history of, of facts. These humans are insane. we are sensitive. <laughs> yeah. So, I did love that. Um, where was I going with all this? We were, oh, we were going to talk about, we talked about that, blah, blah, blah. Oh, um, this is just a fun fact. I looked up, like, how far away everything is all of the planets. Cause I was interested in like the botany Bay and it taking years and years and years to get to, to like the next thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's actually, 
that's actually true. Like most of the planets in the solar system to actually get there would take years. Yeah. Like Mercury's like 6.5 years, Jupiter's six years, Saturn's seven years. <laughs> I love that line where they kind of laughed at that. They were like, yeah. oh, years. back in the, year, back back in the, in the 1990s, 90s. would it take years to get from planet to planet? Yeah, they, they, that part was actually accurate. You know, Uranus or Uranus, uh, 8.5 years. Venus is uh, only 15 months, but we don't really want to go there because it's not inhabitable. Um, Pluto is like 9.5 years. Neptune is 12 years. We don't want to go to most of these places, Mercury, Jupiter, Neptune, because the atmosphere and the climates are just like too harsh. Mm -hmm. Um, there aren't many planets that we could colonize. Um, Mars obviously is, is sort of like a talking point Mm -hmm. these days. Mars only takes seven months to get to. So we've been to Mars like nine times, um, but only with rovers and stuff. Yeah. And there is the possibility of water there, which is big. There's also like organic matter there potentially. So it's all very encouraging, but it's not like a holiday destination because it has, even though it has like, um, similar days and years, like a year is like two earth years or something and it has seasons and stuff. But it's the temperatures are somewhere between 166 degrees Fahrenheit to 95 degrees, and it just swings wildly because the atmosphere is so thin and the temperatures are just crazy. Also, there's a hundred up to a hundred miles per hour uh, solar winds or like dust storms. I mean, dust storms. Not and there, great. And there are solar winds. Yeah, and it's like a problem. So also water, like if you have any water on Mars, it just sublimates into gas form immediately. So it's, it's, it's a challenge, but it's not impossible. It is wild that we, in this tiny little universe, yeah, found the one planet right. that is capable. And it's not that far away. Like, we can get there in seven months. But our little planet. Oh, that our planet. Oh, I know. It's, our a, it's like a miracle. Yeah. In this little universe. I know. Has all these people, and it's the only one that can... I think life in general, like the fact that, that you and I exist, we, each of us represents a one in a billion chance of like that sperm and that egg and that, you know, that, that timeline, that situation, like we're all just, you know, it's all miraculous. And the earth, the earth's place in the universe is another thing like that. It's just this kind of improbably miraculous thing. (laughs) It really just makes you really just wonder. It does. Like, how it really does it does. all work? I know. Pretty wild. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought it was interesting. Because I was curious. I was like, how far is everything? But, like, right. the moon, three days. Three days. But it's not a planet, obviously. So, less cool. But still. Three but days. It's our moon. It's our moon. And we got there in the 60s. In three days. And in the 90s, they thought that by the 90s, 30 years later... <laughs> we'd be going to other planets We'd and be stuff. going over... Yeah. yeah. And, and it's actually really hard to go into orbit in other planets. Like, most of the footage that we have of other planets is from slingshotting around their uh, gravitational pull. Right. And then we're able... Because we only have so much jet fuel. Like, it's it's that, that fuel or whatever that they put in the, in the rockets is like... Yeah. That rocket fuel is like... It's hard to come by. Right. And we only have so much. So, when we send these probes out, like that we're slingshotting around these planets, kind of like you're lining up a pool shot, like mm-hmm. a pool table, where it's like bouncing off other things to get where you want it to go. And you mm-hmm. have to be really strategic about it. It's very difficult to get it right. It's hard to be precise. Right. Um, and you're just, every time it bounces, it loses a little energy. And then it's like redirected. And then you eventually get to like whatever planet you're aiming for, whether it's like Neptune or right. whatever. And the math behind that, it has to be so yeah, precise. insane insane it's crazy that we can do that but to actually so we can get we can kind of get near something 
quicker than we can actually get down into orbit. Mm. It's really challenging to to stop like a uh, a um, probe or something like that and get it actually in a planet's orbit. That mm. takes years, but just passing it can be like months, depending on what you're doing. Isn't that crazy? It's fascinating. It's so interesting to me. Um, yeah. So just to kind of wrap up, great episode. Here are a few little fa- fun facts. Um, Chekhov is a major character in Wrath of Khan. He's not mentioned at all in this episode, but he's mentioned in Wrath of Khan. So that's just a little thing to know. Um, it's the only episode in which Scott wears his Scotty wears his dress uniform without um, his kilt. <laughs> <laughs> which is fun. All right. Um, Kirk, Spock, McCoy, and Scotty are the only officers that are wearing dress uniforms in that scene. Even though Uhura is an officer, she's not wearing a dress uniform. She's wearing a regular <gasps> uniform. She isn't. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, Khan changes which I clothes. I feel like is an example. Right. It's sexism. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Um, Khan changes clothes five times. In this episode. So many times. Which is a record. It's the most for any male cast member. And I think that's because they were like, we got a beautiful guy here. We got to show him off. <laughs> so many different hairstyles like, too. Yes. Lots of hair changes. Lots of like costume. Yeah. Um, he's just really pretty. They want to show him off. Can so, I tell you one thing I did yeah. that once like bloop that they didn't mean to obviously. Um, I'm a femme through and through. And there's one thing that I realized that they did not that I noticed, but they did not notice, is when he was get, going to get out of the hospital bed, mm-hmm. his whole body was super tanned. Yeah. But his legs were pasty white. I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to go back and look. Because he was in that jumpsuit with, like, the shorty pants. I mean, no, this was yeah. just the... I don't know what he was wearing. It was like the hospital bed one. Like, right, right, right. it was the first... Oh, that hospital gown cracked me up. Because it was, like, a deep V. It was, like... <laughs> Who had a hospital gown with, like, a deep V? Like, you know, there's some nurse that was like, I've got just the thing. Totally. You oh, know? my gosh. <laughs> and I never noticed that before. But then anyway. the next time that they do that with the legs, they're super tan. We have got to move on. I, got, I have to wrap this up. I got to get going. I got like, five minutes to get there. I haven't put on mascara. Um, okay, song pick. Okay, my song pick. So I did my song pick for the women because I felt, for me, my so this is my song. Yeah. I decided to do, because it's it's a random song and then my song, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of my songs, I chose my song, Warrior, which awesome. is about women's empowerment. And yeah. I feel like those women need to they need listen that song. to it. Yes. Um, Why was that not on their iPods? I don't know. Future. Um, but that was my song for them. And then the the song that I would pick is Public Enemy. Amazing. Uh, Fight the Power. Amazing. That just feels like... A perfect blend, not just for the people. I feel like it. I feel like Khan probably would like take the song and appropriate it for himself. It's for all those people in the '90s. Thank you. Exactly, <laughs> all those people in the '90s that stood up against oppression, the power. Yeah. Yes, and were and, and won the power and won, and they won against all these dictators. Pretty amazing. Yeah. Changed human history. We didn't even talk about that, but that's pretty great that, like, they won out in the end against these, like, superhumans. I actually didn't know that they won. Yeah, they won. And that's why, in the future, the Enterprise is, like, benevolent and, like, humanity solved all its problems. Because, like, there were all there was this race of, like, superhumans who tried to take over everything all right. over the world. Right. And then the people, like, rose up and, like, and there was infighting and stuff. And then, like, the people rose up and overthrew them. I did not know that. And they hunted them all down, except for... 
Khan and his like people. And the secret 91. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that still exists somewhere. Right. That the government doesn't want you to know that they exist. Right. Trump. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Except he is not. Kind of like in Nazi Germany when they hunted out, they they rounded up all of the, uh, you know, officers and stuff. But there were some that like got away and don't tell anyone. Some of them ended up working for NASA. I don't know if you knew that. No, I did not. Yeah. You should look into that sometime. It's pretty dark. Yeah. Well, I love so, that. Fight the power. Fight the power. Perfect won. pick. My pick was uh, Highwayman by the Highwaymen. Um, because of the lyrics are just so good. And if, if, this is a Jimmy Webb song. And uh, for those of you that don't know it, you should go go listen to it. The Highwaymen, obviously, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson, Willie Nelson. All these like powerful men yeah. in the industry. Yeah. And it is a song. Every verse is about... How throughout history, he it's a song about being incarnated, um, but you're the same kind of adventuring spirit every time. So I was a highwayman, I was a whatever, and it ends with I was a sh- like a starship captain is the last verse. So it's like a country song about being a starship captain and being Come reincarnated on. as like this like you know adventuring person. So it's kind of a theme song for Khan, but also for Kirk. I feel like it's really more for Kirk. It's like I love that. You know? And every time he's reincarnated, he's like the same spirit, but he's a little different. And in the end, it's like, maybe I'll come back as like a single drop of rain. You know? It's just a really cool song. And everybody should listen to it. But um, also, The High Women did an updated version, which is excellent and features Yola. And it's very, very good. And I approve. Because it's like all the women of history. And it's basically the same story, but with women. It's amazing. I love that. Uh, But it's a great song. Jimmy Webb is, is... a masterclass on songwriting. And uh, so Highwaymen, um, the hi- Highwaymen is the name of the song. Like singular is the name of the song. Plural is the name of the band. Perfect. Um, and that'll be in the Spotify playlist along with those other songs. Awesome. And that's all I got. Thanks so much for uh, coming on the podcast, Heather. Thanks for enlightening me. I feel like I am now, I now have to watch, like I have to watch them all. Also, I, I think I'm going to watch that Con again though. Oh, you have to. Oh, there's one more thing before we close out. Um, I always ask people like if there's a project you want us to um, go mm. check out or something you can point us toward or if there's like I don't know if it's like a charity that you're involved with or if you have like a record coming out or something like that. that we so I yes I am going to be launching a Kickstarter nice this year. Okay, twenty twenty three. The creation of two albums, which I feel 2022 like twenty twenty two or twenty twenty three. I'm going to be launching a Kickstarter this fall in 2022 Okay, um, to uh, raise funds for my two albums, which I feel like this is super appropriate because this theme of this episode was all about women and uh, staying true to themselves and embracing like what they believe in. And, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like, I feel like your listeners will probably love this. That I, the two records that I'm making, both the Americana album and the pop album, are going to be made entirely by women. I did that. Yes. Did you know this? I did know that. High five. And that'll be my first time ever doing that. So all women, and from the production to the recording to the marketing to the I want to music be videos. Yes, I love that. In some way. Yes. Just throwing that out there. Just Amazing. putting it out there. Putting my business card in the hat. Do it. Um, where can we find you on Patreon? Patreon.com slash Heather May. And your website? HeatherMayMusic.com. All right. And Instagram is? Heather May Music. All right. That covers it. I love you and I love your nerdy <laughs> self and I'm so honored and I would love to be back on the pod at some point. I'll this have you back. So I, I might bring back some guests for like season two. 
Please, yeah. please do. Awesome. I will be watching Star Trek until then. <laughs> awesome. Fantastic. We got one, guys. We got one. Yes. Thanks for coming on, Heather. This has been another strange new episode of Troubadours on Trek. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever listening platform you use and head on over to patreon.com slash Grace Pettis to join the crew. This is your host, Grace Pettis, giving her all she's got, beaming out. See you at the next Shore Leave.